listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Yes, and it is the coldest of times. It is the darkest of times. Well, actually, the days warmed are warmed up. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, technically, but it's still mid-January. Mid-January. It is, you know, it is, oh, shut up already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is the iron claw of our discontent. We're moving on all the same. And February is around the corner. It's true. That's right. Yeah. And uh, we're still in 87. And uh, it's, you know, kind of springtime in WWF land. That's right. Yes. Well, before we get to the action of this week, which is going to be a basic overview of May and June of 1987, trying to stop at the, the best and most interesting points, the, you know, the most valid options to get us to eventually in a few more shows until we can get to the October 1987 main event, which of course is a huge one. So we've got lots of good stuff to take in. And before we get there, speaking of taking things in is, you know, the uncertain future of, of uh, our viewing ability for this content and the news this week that Netflix has gotten this 10 year contract coming up, which starts at the end of this year. So January, 2025, you know, all WWE Canada stuff will move to Netflix, apparently including the network itself, which we are still currently on. So because we're not in the US, we don't, we're not on Peacock. So, but we're on the old WWE network that are, is available in other places in the world, including Canada. And we're no longer going to be on that platform. We'd have to switch over to Netflix. But the thing is, and I've heard this mentioned by many people, there's no understanding or way to predict what will be transferred and what won't. And this could turn into a situation where maybe it gets better. Maybe Netflix chooses to put up more content somehow, but they also might kind of do what Peacock did, which is like not upload everything. So a lot of stuff was lost between the what, what we have access to and to the Peacock users. Yikes. So that's a scary thought as a wrestling podcast that relies on, you know, being able to watch some of this old stuff. Part of the fun, of course, is discovering all these matches we never saw. And if we lose access to seeing those matches, well, then we're, you know, kind of takes away from things. And even just as a general fan. That is uh, shaky developments. And I certainly hope things get better, not worse. I feel bad for these peacock people that can't go back and watch wrestling from the 80s because basically they can they can see they they definitely see some of it they just there's stuff there's certain things that they know aren't there anymore that used to be there when they were on the network itself like those those bash cards we watched right those full-length you know 1986 great american bash those two nights i believe that was an example where i read in a thread where a whole bunch of people said like they they knew they could they used to be able to watch it on the, the old network but when they switched over to peacock those cards just never appeared again you know and there's just certain things that's not that's not there it's just not all not all uploaded Goddamn. And yeah, so we'll wait and see how that plays out. So we have the, we have the rest of the year to, you know, enjoy what we're having and hope that there's not more and more changes to the website, which make it even more difficult to use. But uh, we'll fight along and keep trying to find and uncover 
the goodness. And that is the one thing that's kind of frustrating. And it's part of this show is that like, let's talk about it. We just went through WrestleMania three. We had, you know, arguably the greatest match of all time, probably the greatest intercontinental title championship of all time, for sure. Obviously if it's in contention for the best of all time, then it's, you know, it's got to win that category. But what we can't say about Ricky Steamboat's run is not the greatest, you know, like nobody's going to say, if you made a list of like, who's the best intercontinental champions, very few people would actually put Steamboat because the, the rain is, you know, a limp fart, basically. <laughs> yeah, it, what a shock. Didn't see that coming. No. No, after all that buildup. I mean, we didn't really see Ricky get to kick a lot of ass. I mean, the WrestleMania 3 match was great, yeah. but his specialty was getting left laying in a crumpled heap. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, right. Somehow or another. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. He was uh, kind of a master at it. So this brief period, this May-June, this is, you know, that was it. March, April, May, roughly June. And then basically Steamboat's title run is over. And there's there's not a lot to be had. You know, there's not, there's, there isn't a bunch of matches out there. Like I've been looking and we do have, we do have a match today, uh, with Mr. Butch Reed, which is kind of fun because we haven't had him on the show a lot yet. So we will get to that. But in general, I was expecting that for sure, because the house show is littered with them rematches, right? Steamboat versus Savage, right? Okay. So I'm looking for a Steamboat versus Savage match, but with Steamboat as the champ, Steamboat defending against Savage, you know, change the dynamic. This will make Macho Man even more, you know, aggressive and on, on the right. offense and, and all that stuff. And generally speaking, there kind of aren't any. And the only one I found that seemed to be recorded was a dark match from a TV taping. It's the main event. It's the two of them in a steel cage. Uh-huh. And it's not released on an episode like the other matches that are recorded that night. But it is listed as being on this like Macho Man unseen matches or something like that. Or, you know, the title's longer than that. But something along that lines. And... So I checked and I came up with like a YouTube clip and it was like long. It was like three hours and something. And I was like, hey, here we go. But it wasn't. That's no clip. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. A file, (laughs) a a link. So I go and check it out. But right away, as soon as I even start scanning, I can see the comments in the bottom of the page. And the first comment is. So still unseen. <laughs> and what it is, is that these aren't, this isn't the DVD. This is like a WWE production of like two former and two current wrestlers in 2018 reviewing the DVD. So you don't actually get to watch any of the matches. Oh. We just see like DDP and like, uh, you know, a couple of new wrestlers. And I'm trying to remember the, uh, there's a feat, there's a, a more attitude error, like female wrestler there maybe or something like that. Anyways, not important, but that's all, that's all I could find. And then I went to the network and tried to find the DVD and there's a, there are several savage bio things there, but, or like, you know, compilations, but not, it's not the one that this, that's not the one that this match is on. So like, you know, my, my search for the steamboat savage was, you know, left wanting more. Oh, what a pity. All right, so like Jeff said, one of the first things that came up, actually, I think I believe this aired, yeah, it airs, it airs on the first week of this sort of segment of, of uh, the show, which is an early May primetime episode, and but it was recorded in 1986, and they held onto it for a long time. I remember, actually, I just told Jeff today that it's like, I pasted that link, like one of the first shows we ever did. I remember coming across this match and being like, ooh, I, we want to, you know, we want to cover that, but then realizing, like, wait a minute, they don't air it for like a year. It's weird. So we're going to get to a 50 thousand dollar tag team battle royal what a list of participants oh my god in no particular order i will uh tell you who's in this nice tag team battle royal the british bulldogs thank you we got the red and blue by the way one yeah, uh, yeah we got I, like it. I like it dynamite's wearing red and davy boy's wearing blue trunks 
The machines. There's a tip. Like what? <laughs> nice, the yeah. machines. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow demolitions also in this. No, just kidding. They're not. <laughs> they are not. But uh, we have it. Uh, no phoning machines. It's not a Piper machine. It's yeah. not junkyard dog machine. It's the big yeah. machine. Black. But you you could have had. You could have had blackjack and Andre. Yeah, there and then still had demolition. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Instead, it's uh, you know blackjack, big machine, and yeah. uh, super machine, which is uh, the mass superstar yeah. or demolition axe, Bill Eady. You've got the dream team, Beefcake and Valentine. Nice, yeah, the Heart Foundation. There they are, the champs. Eventually, eventually, Shiki Baby and Volkov, <laughs> Stud and Bundy. Nice, yeah. The Killer Bees. Okay, taking it. We lose a little steam as we move on here because, <laughs> you know, I picked out my favorites first. Yeah, of course, yes. So we got S.D. Jones and Mike Rotundo are a team. Okay, yeah, that's during this. Yeah, that's a weird. The Rougeau brothers are here. Nice, yes, very nice. The Islanders. Very, very good. Chief J. Strongbow is okay. supervising things from in the ring, not from the locker room okay, today. Yeah. And he's with Steve Gatorwolf. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think he was on. He was on a Saturday Night event, yeah. yeah. Bundy squashed him. Yeah. On the, the event, the main event where he attacked Hogan. Mm-hmm. 11 teams. Okay, that's an odd number, but yeah, 22, okay. Yeah. So going. I guess so that's an even number. Yeah, well, odd number of teams, even number of wrestlers. So we have, uh, at our first look, you know, I just paused it like a snapshot. What's yeah, going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, we don't see the entrances or anything like that. So in the very first look, if it was a painting on a wall, yeah. what we see is the foreground left part of the ring. You've got Big John Stud versus the Super Machine, as we mentioned, Demolition Axe. Right. Also, we've got, this is tag team dream here. Beefcake is holding the Dynamite Kid for Jim the Anvil Neidhart <laughs> to punch. <laughs> Haku... And Jim Brunzel are beating up Brett in the background. Behind that, there's a group of yeah. wrestlers. You know, we've got a better look at Stud and, and Beefcake. In the right-hand foreground, Volkoff is holding Greg Valentine for the big <laughs> machine to pop in the head. You have a whole clutch of guys in the right-hand background. That's where Rotundo and Mike D. Jones, yeah. or, or S.D. Jones, Chief J. Strongbow, those guys are all kind of, you know, muddle around there and, and the Rougeos. Well, actually, you also have in the middle ground, Bundy is being wrestled by the Rougeau brothers and maybe somebody else. Yeah. And Davy Boy is looking at Bundy getting mauled by these guys. So when when you first get to the file and you pause it, yeah, yeah, Davy Boy's looking over, and then you hit pause, right? Davy Boy goes over, and they basically it looks like the WCW WCCW card where Bundy's going to be the first guy out of the battle yeah, royal. Yeah, 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 what yeah. are you talking about? So John Studd is like clobbering, you know, his machine, and he's like, he looks over, he's like, whoa, <laughs> he leaves the machine alone, walks over and rescues Bundy as the okay, first bit yeah, of action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Davy Boy is actually lifting his leg up and tipping him, or yeah, Davy yeah. Boy is like he. The first three seconds is like yeah, Davy Boy walks over, grabs Bundy's leg, whereas the Rougeos have got his arm, and like yeah. it looks like and Bundy's got his back on the ropes. Yeah, but he gets saved by Big John Stud. Okay. We get a little mini rematch of Jeff's dream tag team <laughs> clash. The Bulldogs want trouble with Stud and Bundy. Nice. Okay, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, so, you know, you know, Big John comes over to basically Davy Boy from, you know, up a little bit because he's like almost got Bundy out. Yeah. And then Dynamite notices what's going on. He wants yeah, some action. Yeah, yeah. He comes over and starts heading, but headbutting, <laughs> like jumping headbutts yeah, to, yeah. to uh, Big John Stud. So he's kind of, he's got to pull Big John's hair down. hair down. Like he's got to pull him down for like when his feet land and makes it percussive. He's yeah. like, you know, He's nowhere near Big John's heads, but he's, I mean, anyway, he's delivering headbutts. Yeah. 
There's also, you know, a little more scrapping between those guys. Dynamite backs Big John into the corner and he's like mounts the middle ropes and he's like giving more shots to Big John Studs. So, I mean, like they spend a little bit of, uh, you know, camera time and, uh, and effort on reliving this awesome dream match. And it's pretty <laughs> great because, uh, you know, they're, the, the Bulldogs are giving it to the, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. odds they, on they, favorite. They only got the double team offense last time. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and the commentators are mentioning that. Stud and Bundy are the odds-on favorite because they're the biggest yeah, team in course, there. Yeah. So I do have an order of elimination of all the teams. First team out, very little surprise, SD Jones and Mike Rotundo. <laughs> yeah. And this bad camera work, but I think it's the Sheik. Iron Sheik yeah. dumps um, so, SD Jones. Sorry, just to clarify for everyone, when one guy goes, they both go? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So that is the uh, special stipulation. Only one member of the tag team has to be remembered. And there are no pinfalls, but thrown over the top rope to, uh, you know, eliminate that team. Quite so. And so Mike Rotundo, he ends up laying a bunch of punches before, you know, finally somebody convinces him he's got to go. But Rotundo eventually does leave the ring. They're the first to go. The second uh, would be the team of Jay Strongbow and Steve Gatorwolf. Right. Courtesy of, once again, Sheiky Baby. Oh, Sheiky's racking him up. Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately... He's next. (laughs) (laughs) It's a super machine who eliminates Volkov. I know, sorry, not Volkov, but Sheik. And it's a kind of a weak one. Like, remember that really weak self-elimination back in Texas? Well, you know, Sheik, it looks like he doesn't even really wind up and deliver the punch. He just kind of reaches over big machine to grab the top rope. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, so, sorry, super machine, super machine does the obliging back body drop and, yeah. and Sheiky's out. But yeah. like, it doesn't even look like an attack. It just looks like, oh, here's my stop. <laughs> you know, I'm getting off at this one. Yeah. Reaching up to ring yeah. the bell. Bye-bye. Now, unfortunately, we have a double elimination here and it's, you know, we would have liked to have seen more action. A Dynamite Kid and Bret Harper tang- tangled up, grappling, and they both spill over the top rope, eliminating the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs oh, in one fell swoop. Yeah, I know. That's a shame. There goes, you know, same time. So you don't really know who's fourth or fifth, but there there go the Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation, alas. So this, let me just, you know, to recap, who's still in the match. We've got Killer Bees remaining. We have the Dream Team remaining. The Machines are still in there. Yeah. The Rougeau brothers. Stud and Bundy are in there. And the Islanders are, Islanders are all still in the match. All of these eliminations happened fairly quickly. The next one to go out, unfortunately, is Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, oh, our dropkick okay. specialist. And he gets uh, a back body drop variation. Brutus Beefcake uh, sends him on his way. And unfortunately, he must be joined by B. Brian Blair. <laughs> Then we have a pretty interesting exchange between Haku and Jacques. Really okay. stiff chops. Wow. Like they're really, like I, you don't see Haku usually move his arms that fast. It looks like testing each other a little bit. And then uh, Jacques's like, well, fuck that. I'll pick you up. He goes for a fireman's carry and Haku's like clamps down like, you're not lifting me. You know, like, oh. nope, I chew, I say no. So he, they end up in a bit of a roll, small package. And the commentator's like, yeah, no pinfalls, boys. And like, <laughs> it almost seems like, I, I don't know, but like Haku was like, yeah. you know, I'm not doing, you know, I'm not letting you lift me. I'm not going in the air for you because then you've got control. And yeah. just like, if you don't want to be lifted in your Haku, you're probably not going to be lifted by Jacques <laughs> yeah, Ray, uh, Rougeau. 
but it's still face versus face, this little exchange. So yeah. Big John Stud steps in and takes care of Jacques and, uh, you know, throws him out without too okay. much trouble. Yeah. And then he goes over and basically taps Raymond on the shoulder and is like, get out of here with the thumbs, like, <laughs> beat it. You know, Raymond's, uh, you know, kind of looking over and wiping the sweat off his brow and like yeah. takes about 15 or 20 seconds. He's like, all right, climbs through the ropes <laughs> and, you know, walks and joins his brother. So the Rougeaus are out. Okay. And they were the seventh team eliminated. So now we're down to the Dream Team, the Machines, the Islanders, okay. Stud and Bundy. So an equal distribution of yes, indeed, body parts, faces That's and heels. That's right. Unfortunately, the Dream Team are eliminated when Super Machine dumps Brutus Beefcake okay. over the top rope. But not before... Big Machine picks up John Studd and nearly body slams oh, him. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, but he's right by the... Grabs the ropes. Right? Yeah, by yeah. the top third rope. So Blackjack Mulligan is easily big enough to slam Stud, you know, so it looks really close. And while that's going on, Super Machine gets... Uh, they actually... Then they clobber... They knock a... Blackjack gets a kind of a clothesline over the top rope himself because, like, right. the, you know, once a Super Machine... Sorry. So I was saying how Super Machine dumped Beefcake out. Yeah. And then the machines get eliminated because Big Machine almost slams... Stud. Stud. But it doesn't work out. He grabs the rope and then Bundy sees Big Machine close to the ropes, clotheslines him, and uh, that's how Big Machine topples out. And okay. now the machines are done. Okay. So now the final four. Crazily, the Islanders, who I kind of ranked like the, you know, the ninth seed and the, yeah, and yeah, the first yeah. seed. So it's like first and ninth are remain. Yeah, yeah. And then now we get to see Bundy do some of his, you know, good trash talking shtick. He's just like, just jump over the rope. Get out of here. Like, just give us the belts. Just give them to us. Or, you know, give us, yeah, the, yeah. you may as well just hand them over. That's right. And you, you're just thinking, wow, they're they're goners. So yeah. the Islanders are trying to chop and do some stuff. And sure, yeah. Haku can stand in there with anybody. Yeah. But before long... Tama gets whipped into the corner. Bundy scuffs those feet, works up a little steam, and squashes <laughs> him with an avalanche. Yeah. yeah, and Tamu takes it. Yeah. And Haku is, I think, dazed for a second, and you're just like, how easy is it for either Stud or Bundy to pick up this crumpled yeah. Tamu, Tama, Tama and yeah. just, just dump him over the top rope? So easy. That's right. But instead, they're like, no, no, he's no threat. Let's go beat up Haku. Yeah. And so they do the typical kind of like, they're holding Haku's yeah, arms behind You hold him, I'll get him. You hold him, and that's right. And so Bundy runs the ropes, bounces off for some extra momentum, and he's going to really clobber Haku, but yeah. Haku ducks, and Bundy <laughs> clotheslines Big John Studd, who topples over the top rope, ah, nice. allowing the Islanders to win the $50,000 yes. battle royal. But, you know, Tama's still selling, like, crushed ribs, so he's yeah. like, oh, yeah, we won. Oh, God, give me to the hospital. <laughs> and the money. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there was a guy I read online who didn't like this match, but, you know, yeah. that opening look is just, it's like looking at The Last Supper. It's like, oh, everybody's here. That's right. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's a lot of fun. And especially to, to back up and go go back and re- revisit the 86 tag team scene. There's different different teams. Like, there's teams we don't have there, but there's also teams that are, you know, no longer teams. So it's it's fun. Yeah, it's neat. It does make you wonder why they held on to it. <laughs> like, why didn't you just put it on another show, like, in the, la- the previous five months or six months or whatever? Yeah, I had to look online to, because I'm like, Super Machines, in the same TV show, Demolition yeah. wrestles the Young Stallions, I think. Yeah, <laughs> so I was yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. is going on? It's like, is he getting two paychecks, I hope, Billy? <laughs> That's good. And the main event, Hulk Hogan versus the masked superstar. Like, boy, give the guy a break. 
That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Imagine because Hogan's first title defense. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. against the mass superstar. So That's just right. imagine Bill Eadie triple carding. You know, yeah. or basically <laughs> all three versions of his shtick that's right in one in one tv show <laughs> okay so we're gonna roll through things sort of try to be chronological might get a little bit uh, scattered but uh, try to bring things together i think one of the neat things that's coming up from what i can see from the cards that are coming up in the in the matches that are on or segments that are on is that we're going to introduce a bunch of characters so this is a neat time in the wwf because it's sort of like there was that expansion gathering in 83 84 85 where like mcmahon you know swept the territories and brought in all these great people that set up wrestlemania and the rock and wrestling era and then this 87 seems like a the next wave where there's like we went back out and we re <laughs> we, we rescan the surface and we drag in all these neat people and we'll bring them up as we go but one of the things is a house show and it's may 9th at the sam houston arena i believe and look at that sam houston the wrestler <laughs> talked about from world from nwa he debuts and he pins the big man sika Wow. Yeah, in St. Louis. They're in a match. Sorry, sorry. I said they were in Sam Houston. They're not. He's going to be in a Sam Houston Coliseum match coming up pretty soon. But yeah, in St. Louis, Pinsica. So you just imagine that, I don't want to call him scrawny, but that lean, tall, slender. That's hard to imagine. And then the big giant Sika. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what he used. Some kind of roll up or Yeah, something. probably. Yeah, Sika must have probably like crushed himself or something. Yeah, know? and then Sika after the match is like, what happened? I didn't even, what? I lost. <laughs> so we're going to touch on a few shows here. Uh, so the May 11th primetime uh, that we get to see. Now, last episode I was talking about, I wanted to, in an earlier episode, they'd had a Brett versus Dynamite match, and I couldn't find the match. It was pretty disappointing. Didn't get to see the match. So here we go. It's Davey versus Brett. And so I've never seen this match before, and it's this prime era. It's right around this WrestleMania 3 feud. It's really great. Both teams look really great. Dynamite looks great. He's uh, he's in the corner, so it's pretty neat. They, uh, they introduce uh, Jimmy Hart and Jim Neidhart, and like they, they give full introductions, and then say, like, you know, representing <laughs> Brett the Hitman Hart, and he gets his interview. And then, of course, we get the Bulldogs music. They come out with Matilda. They've got the uh, the red tights with the uh, Union Jack on the back and yeah they're both they, so each guy has a, someone in the corner it's like often sometimes it'll do this where it's like there'll be a tag match and then like the bad guys will come out with the manager and the tag team partner and he'll come up by himself <laughs> it's like what are you doing Yep. but there's no Danny Davis which is a big note at the beginning so we got Jesse and McMahon on the call it's pretty great McMahon of course is calling for like when is it going to be when, when is there going to be the rematch where the, the Bulldogs will finally get their titles back and again just believing those lying words but didn't happen but so anyways I'm not going to cover this match really that deeply because we've covered a lot of recently a lot of Heart Foundation Bulldog matches but it's it's a good match there's a great spot at the very beginning it's pretty much the first move of the whole match and it's just a simple shoulder tackle and Bret Hart finds this different way of like basically being knocked and flying through the air I think through the second and the bottom rope to the outside and then landing and skidding on the on the mat and it just looks really devastating. Like, it's just such a, you know, great sell. I remember you mentioned, you know, it was like the Killer Bees versus Sika and Kamala and like Jim uh, Jim Brunzel taking one shoulder tackle and selling it forever. And this is sort of yeah. Bret Hart. Like, this looked way more crazy than the one you're talking about, which is sort of more of a simple knockdown in the ring, right? This is like mm. Bret Hart doing like a, a stuntman's work of diving himself out of the ring and all this stuff. So it's really, it's pretty good. So they go back and forth. They do a lot of their normal spots. We get to see, you know, the hair whip. We get to see... Bret Hart using like the the knee and the stomach off the ropes, the leg drop, just a bunch of different stuff. So we'll just skip to the end of the match. It's 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 a, it's pretty good. Oh, actually, one really good spot in the in the card is we saw the crucifix on Saturday's main event where Davy Boy you know ducks the clothesline and then gets up and quickly rolls him into the in, a, in sort of a it's a half slam half pin you know like kind of maneuver. It looks pretty cool. Well, in this case, 
Bret Hart gets this like reversal that the crowd is not expecting and it's basically like the Sika Samoan drop. He catches, Davy Boy goes up for the crucifix pin, but Bret Hart's able to like leave his feet at such an angle that he slams Davy Boy underneath himself and it's basically, and Davy Boy takes the damage, you know, and there's no pin, pinfall attempt and the crowd really like reacts to that. They're like, oh, like, you know, like they thought they were seeing a pinfall coming up and meanwhile, Davy Boy's getting crushed. So the, the ending's kind of neat. I kind of forget exactly how we get to this spot, but things are picking up. Davy Boy's made basically his second comeback. It looks like he's got a big advantage on Bret Hart and there's a little bit of a distraction where Jim Neidhart starts sneaking up onto the onto the apron so he's got his hand on the middle rope and he's got like a knee up on the apron and he's starting to pull himself up and I believe that distracts Davy Boy and you see Dynamite he's on the other side of the ring and he comes over really quickly and he just beats Jim Neidhart's ass for about a minute <laughs> like you just watch him on the outside it's just dynamite forearms punches and headbutts and Jim Neidhart just like you know wobbly yeah, like punching right bag on. the whole time it's really cool yeah I love it and so Bret Hart does get an advantage out of this but very quickly what happens is he does a whip to Davy Boy and he tries to catch him in this in the cradle side you know backbreaker his the one that Bret Hart does where he he goes down to one knee and you know crushes the guy over his over his knee but Davy Boy does a backflip out of this and immediately picks Bret Hart up over the shoulder, spins, positions it, runs to the middle of the ring, drives him to the middle of the ring, and does a very confident, like, one-armed pin. One, two, three. And McMahon's, like, losing it because he's, like, you know, telling Jesse that this is what's going to happen when they when these two right, teams finally yeah. meet. And Dynamite's still on the outside beating up Nightheart. Oh, wow. <laughs> so Jimmy Hart comes in and he tries to, and he punches, you know, I think he tries to punch. Oh, pardon me. I think he tries to sneak up on him and Davey White catches him. So Davey Boy's stalking him into the corner. And now here's where Danny Davis comes out. So Danny Davis does this punch to the back of Davey Boy, which knocks him down, but he does recover pretty quickly, but they do it really well. Bret Hart hasn't gotten up from the slam, but he's able to like tackle Davey Boy's legs from the ground. And that allows Danny Davis to again, go back on the offense. And they actually put the boots on him for a while. And Dynamite tries to come in the ring to save Davey Boy. And Nightheart's able to like bear hug him for a little bit. But he doesn't actually do any damage to, to, to Dynamite. So Dynamite just elbows out of it and like gives him a shot and knocks him off. But then all of a sudden he's, it's kind of like the Can-Am connection thing from last week. It's like, he's all of a sudden really hurt, even though he's never taken a punch. It's like, and he can't right. get it. And then, you know, Nightheart distracts him again. And then this time Dynamite rams Nightheart <laughs> into the railing <laughs> to get rid of him. Comes in the ring, chases off the heels. So the heels get their little like, you know, they get their beat down at the end. But I mean, Davey wow. Boy using the power slam to get the yeah, pin was like clean. really great. Yeah, wow. clean. Yeah, super clean. Nice. Yeah, it's a lot of fun with that. Uh, that's one of the first uh, matches on that card. It's, it's pretty good. And yeah, it's really, I'm not going to, if I can find a match I haven't seen, I've probably seen about 25-ish, I think, different, Brett, you know, pardon me, uh, Bulldog versus Heart Foundation variations from, let's say, 85 up to now, plus tiny bit of stuff from footage from, from Calgary, different, vari- sometimes it's not even the proper, you know, sometimes they're on opposite teams. It's David Boy and Brett versus Dynamite. But anyways, getting to see those guys, like, so it's just, you know, wasn't going to pass that up. There is an update segment uh, on this that I think is going to set up one of our matches. Well, you know, Heenan is... Um Center stage with his whole Ken Patera storyline, mixing reality and fiction, of course. That's right, yeah. We got the incredible bump, you know, like the neck-breaking whip, <laughs> you know, the belt-around-the-throat whip that, uh, you know, burned in my imagination by my sixth-grade teacher, and then, then we got to see it on TV. That's right. So uh, Heenan is wearing a neck brace, and he's really selling the pain and the yeah. ouch and, uh, and all that stuff. He's, of course talking about how unfair it is. Oh, he's got no right to lay his hands on me, you know, and he's making cracks like you should be, you know, make 
printing license plates and you yeah, know yeah, going back to your stick and all that stuff. He basically says that uh, you know I've got the world's strongest man. You know well, that that's the idea, right? Right. Because not sure who mentions it, but like we actually hear about Patera's. It could be during the match at some point. McMahon says Patera does have this military press world record. Right, that's yeah. real. That is like hundred. He, he, he can military press five hundred pounds. Yeah, Ken Patera. Yeah. So you know if he could get his hands on you the right way, there's nobody that can that Ken Patera couldn't press. That's I mean, right. Yeah. I don't know what Andre weighed, but he might have weighed. He under said f- he weighed over five hundred at the end, but right. like you know he was. Definitely more in the 400s, like in his in th- 400s yeah. in his prime. I guess the problem there is how do you distribute the weight evenly the way that uh, barbells yeah. are? Oh, yeah. No, the the debt, like, yeah, exactly. Um, that's why. Like trying to lift an actual person. Yeah. And if they don't cooperate, yeah, yeah it's, it's totally. No. <laughs> so we're we're leading up to uh, the the latest member of the Heenan family. You know, that's going to, is going to get revenge. Or, yeah. you know, I mean, well, not really the latest because it, it's starting. You know, they yeah. went, you know, we had the story, the debates, you know, yeah, the, right. the Heenan bump. So this is the beginning of, right. of Patera versus the Heenan family. That's right. Exactly. I didn't like the look of Patera coming back, yeah. but I have so much more respect now that I understand he was this world class. He really was the world's strongest man or, or yeah. you know, anyway, I mean, just, and, and the Olympic had champion. Claim, had a claim to a certain record at one point. You know, yeah, yeah. That will lead to one of the matches we're, we're covering. It, it isn't a particularly long match. But uh, yeah, it's great to see uh, Heenan get a chance to use his acting chops and just be like, "Ooh, ah, he's he, he's lots of like putting his hand on his you know the back of his neck and just playing up his injuries." A little bit after this update segment, there's actually a pretty fun match. <laughs> had to had to take a peek. It was uh, the Samoan Sika versus Pete Doherty. <laughs> no respect for royalty from Sika. Are <laughs> you right, your lordship? <laughs> Well, the next Saturday night's main event that we're going to cover has Hulk Hogan defending against Sika. So here we discover that uh, the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty, is the new gatekeeper for Hulk Hogan. you <laughs> got to right. get past him That's if right. you want that title shot, baby. <laughs> JYD, forget it. It's funny because JYD is how, uh, you know, wrestling Pete Doherty. I had forgotten this man existed. That's right, yeah. And But he was on the first Saturday night's main event. Anyway, you got to get past him. Sika. And it won't be so easy as you think, because he's he's over. <laughs> he's right. over with the crowd. They love him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're in the Boston Gardens. Of course, yes, his home, and, home uh, stomping ground. Yeah, and he's just got such a crazy strut as he's coming to the <laughs> ring, yeah. and he's missing all his bottom teeth. Yeah. He's got a blonde hair and a crazy look in his eye, and he's bouncing. He's he's, he's really, you know, got this kind of magnetic thing about him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's slapping hands. People want yeah. to touch him. And hands, he, yeah. he actually, he doesn't do a full tour. Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, the Rockers or, or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. With some real face, but he's uh, he's definitely now got this face vibe. It's so much fun. And also, as he's like, um, he glances up to the ring, and he... Uh, he gives a, an up yours to Sika as he says, Come here, you mother... <laughs> yeah, exactly. He kind of like garbles the, uh, you know, the F-bomb, but it is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like all attitude before he gets into the ring. And he chooses to get into the ring, kind of climbs over the top. Like he doesn't duck underneath, you know, he doesn't want to sucker punch. It's like he's not going to even give, uh, you know, Sika one sort of like moment of vulnerability. So he... he Puts his foot on the middle rope, and then he climbs over the top to get into the ring. Like, takes the high ground to get into the ring. He won't get caught unawares, Pete Doherty. <laughs> so he's got lots of energy. He's bouncing on his heels. And Sika is a, a slower pace of a wrestler. You know, this wild yeah. Samoan is, uh, you know, taking his time. 
when the action begins, seek it bites. <laughs> Pete Doherty. And, you know, he's very vocal, the Duke. So he's like, ah, you know, whenever he's getting uh, attacked. Sika then scratches the eyes and then he goes back to the bite. Our poor Duke is uh, having a hard time. But then actually uh, a little conference between the guys, a kind of, a, you know, a lean in and an Irish whip results in a clothesline that Peter ducks. Oh, okay. And then he delivers a drop kick and Sika goes right through the ropes to the floor. <laughs> He looks more, you know, surprised than injured. Yeah, yeah. That's right. But, uh, you know, hey, there's our Duke. He's in the ring celebrating, you know, <laughs> vanquished the evil Sika. There's a, a set of stairs to, to climb to get back in the ring. Yeah. As Sika's doing it, Pete's just punching him and kicking him <laughs> and, and like no sell Sika. He's just like ignoring <laughs> everything. He gets back into the ring despite all of, well, I think later on, this um, a hopeless wall of offense that's uh, waged by Doherty. Uh, <laughs> the match goes on for a few minutes and actually uh, a couple of times uh, Pete Doherty is able to use eye rakes and just attacks to, to get Sika walking. I mean, that's yeah, what he yeah, does. Yeah, he yeah. just goes for a walk and yeah. You know, shakes off the cobwebs. You know, he doesn't go down. Right. And he doesn't, like, you know, really yell in, in pain. But uh, he does, you know, like, back off and, like, oh, try to collect his thoughts as, as Pete, you know, will hammer him or rake his right. eyes. And Pete's definitely using the uh, heel tactics <laughs> good, because, good. Uh, you know, he's he, this is the only way to get a little, uh, you know, action against No Cell Sika. That's right. It looks like a big diving headbutt might finish off poor Pete Doherty, uh, but he rolls out of the way of that, and uh, <laughs> you know the crowd's getting excited. An Irish whip results in you mentioned a kind of a Bret Hart, a de facto Samoan drop against as a counter against the yeah. crucifix. Well, this is the best Samoan drop I've ever seen. Yeah, I think this is the one part of the match I kind of really saw. <laughs> oh my god! So. Doherty bounces off the ropes, and it looks like a power slam, except for Sika puts his head the other way, and now, you know, Doherty's on his shoulders instead of, like, chest-to-chest spin power slam. So Doherty goes up on his shoulders, but he's got the momentum bouncing off the ropes. Then Sika launches himself into the air. Yeah. And then when... The Duke twists, of Dorchester yeah. twists, and when when he hits, like Sika is a lawn dart. Yeah. Every ounce, every pound of yeah. Sika's weight is also crushing down on it Doherty. It very impactful. <laughs> it's amazing. It's the best Samoan drop I've ever seen. It was like, yeah. I was having a good time watching this match, but I love a good finish that looks convincing. Yeah. And yeah. this. Yeah, Pete Doherty looked like he was getting all the action. He was like, it was, oh, Pete Doherty, and all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sika was, was getting hit, but not really getting hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. Anyway. What a finish. And and then for sure, that's no question that's going to get a three count because it was really devastating. I mean, he didn't just fall backwards. You know, Sika launched himself with Doherty on his shoulders. And then, like you say, uh, then Sika's feet are up in the air. It was kind of like the clock is reading, you know, 10 to 12. You know, the way it wasn't completely uh, perpendicular, but really fun match. I will always watch Pete Doherty. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it's it's it is funny how he kind of did look like he was a good guy in this match or something. He even at one point did the whole Brett's rope. He climbed onto the middle rope and was like, ah, he was getting one, two, three. So he had lots of these babyface moments. That's right. It was a good time. Yeah, for sure. Okay, this card also features a match. And so coming out of WrestleMania three, we of course had the storyline of the Dream Team and the falling out from WrestleMania three, and they left Brutus in the ring which led to him helping Roddy Piper cut Adrian's hair. So now we're coming back, and this is, you know, I'm not going to say this is the first inkling of it, but, you know, McMahon 
is talking about it as the first time. So I'm going to at least say that it's like one of the first times on TV, possibly the first time on TV. It's Brutus coming out to fight his former manager, Johnny Valiant, Johnny V, and Johnny's already in the ring. And Brutus is coming out with a new look. He's added the barber coat. And in one pocket, he's got the trimmers. And in the other pocket, he's got the scissors. And, you know, he's a full-fledged good guy. And he's coming out to the ring. And then we got McMahon and Jesse. And then, you know, again talking. And there, he's actually announced as Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Like, it was that quick. Like, you know, within a week or two, you know, within a few weeks of WrestleMania 3, the TV had caught up or whatever. You know, they got to that point where they're already kind of, you know, established this new gimmick. So here, it's pretty here, funny. Here comes the push for Hogan's buddies. Oh, yeah. And then Beefcake, you know. Hogan's best was, buddy, really. Yeah. He, yeah, he was a pretty big star, you have to say, like, you know, in the idea people love to make fun of him now and stuff like that. But I think he was positioned very highly as a kid. He felt very sort of top of the cardish, even though it didn't quite you know, obviously work out for him to get a big belt past the tag belts, you know, in the first place. And his whole push for the IC belt got derailed a couple of times. But yeah, he was, you know, he was a, he was a big star, I would say. And the crowd definitely loved him as goofy as he, as he may be, you know, like, so we get this Johnny Valiant inset promo and he's all cocky. So he gave the dream team the night off. So he's coming up to the ring alone, which probably isn't the best idea for him. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but he does, he does identify the fact that he did, you know, know that Brutus was the weak link and that's why they got rid of him and they got him out of the team. And that's Ooh. what cost him the match at WrestleMania three, the Rougeaus. Yeah. It's uh, he's, he's a little too confident. I like it. Jesse wants Vince and Bruno in that, that barber chair. Like he wants Brutus to give his, his two, uh, <laughs> his two partners <laughs> their cut. <laughs> no bald jokes? No, no, no. He did. No, he, not at all. No, but it was because it was Jesse digging in. Right. So I think, I think McMahon said, what do you think about the, the barber or something like that? And Jesse said, I'd like to see him cut your hair. <laughs> right. So Johnny is able to get the jump because, you know, uh, Beefcake's a little too, a little too into the crowd and into his gimmick and stuff like that. So he's, he's hanging his coat over the, I think over the railing, not the railing, the, the post and all that stuff. And Johnny gets in a successful attack from behind and punches and kicks and stuff like that. And McMahon actually does, you know, he does note Johnny V's past glory as a tag team champion. You know, he doesn't give the specific details, but he throws that out there, which is nice because it's not just this completely helpless manager. Yep. You know, against this giant <laughs> Brutus Beefcake because he is a huge man. He is very big. I'm, yeah. I remember when we went to go see them live, I was like, whoa, he's bigger than I thought. Yeah. And when we uh, got, I got my comedy exchange with the Honky Tonk that's man. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's Beefcake right. was like, you know, the quiet guy. On <laughs> yeah, the other side, yeah. you know? We didn't even come out for the first, like Honky had the ring for about 10 or 12 minutes by right. himself before they even brought Beefcake out. <laughs> that's true. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Working the crowd. That's right. They, WF should have worked this. They should have given Honky the mic a little bit longer because, uh, yeah, we that night we found out he was a lot fun than we knew. So of course, Beefcake does finally come back from uh, all this stuff. I think it's a reversal into a corner whip. So uh, Johnny V takes a great back bump and comes out and then Beefcake scoots him up for this like comically long, like overpronounced body slam. <laughs> like he carries him around and I think he's like turning to the different sides of the arena. Like, you know, where should I slam him? Where should I slam him? And so it's a, it's a pretty good slam. And then these really overdone, like, you know, crusher style bolo punches, like the big, big wind up. And then right before you punch him, stop kiss your fist then punch him <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah he was definitely a uh, beefcake uh he wasn't a no-nonsense wrestler no not at all yeah he was all frills and yeah know. it's and like i 
I always, I didn't have a problem with that until the OS guy, the OSW guys were like, and then, you know, the big betrayal Hogan versus beefcake, but like it wasn't even, he wasn't called beefcake and they weren't able to build it. And then their match beefcake wrestled a style of, you know, that didn't produce. Yeah. I mean, he did his kind of like wide eyed, you know, like that didn't work, you know, like, you know, over sort of, um, overdone a bit. Yeah. yeah, A a bit comedy, you know, too much. And, and so when the W, ECW version of WrestleMania was like the blow up of the best friends, which could have been like if yeah, the yeah. right writing, the yeah. correct, the proper writing yeah. for Hulk Hogan versus, you know, let's just call him Beefcake. Yeah. Beefcake but I mean, yeah. like, you know, you could have dragged out the pictures of these guys in their, you know, their best BG outfits. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like right, they yeah. were roommates in the 70s. Like yeah. it's all there for like the, the closest, you know, yeah. betrayal, most, yeah. the most accurate, like no, best no one, friend. No one could have stopped them from calling him Ed Leslie or something like that. That's just, right. Like, you know, yeah. I look how and well the kind of thing they would do, yeah, down the road. <laughs> exactly. So I feel bad for Ed Leslie that he didn't get his top of the card, super card main event. Yeah. You know, because he would have been main eventing with, with Bulldogs and Valentine yeah, sure, on the absolutely. tours. Yeah. And then main eventing, chasing he, the IC. Yeah, in 85 and stuff, he would have had, he would have had, you know, probably 10 or 12 over the course of a year, year and a half. He probably had about eight or 10 title shots against Hogan on ho shows. Right. Yeah. So he would have had those main events. And so too bad the WCW couldn't, you know, have done a more realistic, gritty storyline, and that um, that this, whatever it was, um, it could have played up to the actual real life. Yeah. Connection. Because I, I I didn't even know that Hogan and Beefcake had yeah uh, you know what amounts like imagine if it had it had gone as well as hogan versus warrior and it yeah, was exactly. this legendary match where like yeah. two guys that weren't known for yeah you know because I, I loved hogan versus warrior back in the day i sure, wasn't yeah. worried about other people saying it was you know the shortcomings i was yeah, just yeah. i was into it you know yeah most people even the people that don't like either of them sort of as in terms of the idea that they're not the greatest performers or they at least they need that second person to sort of make the match great. They can be they can be in a great match, but it's like it's not because of them that idea. And if you put two of those people together, then who's going to stir the drink? But you know, the, the drink was stirred. It, that's right. So it kind of like puts a little bit of you know uh, cold water on some of these guys. You know, who are always like a bit too snooty, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, what a missed opportunity, really, down the road. Yeah, could have been so good because yeah, Beefcake. I guess maybe it was just tough for for him to stay away from this wide eye. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that, you, you're kind of pantomime theater. Right. You know, I mean, like, let's say the opposite would be Dean Malenko could have used some of that, you know, yeah, right. showmanship, yeah. Yeah. you know, right. and didn't tell you, you never knew what was going on. Like his face was always the same. Yeah. And then Beefcake would be making crazy faces. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of crazy faces, so Johnny does a really great bump here where he goes over the top rope. He like, he's, it's, it's a super great, uh, I, I can't quite remember how it gets set up, but he's, he's awesome at hooking his, le- you know, arm and ah, going over the top and, rope. Oh yeah. Well, I love his vocalizations. Yeah, he, They're sure. so fun. Barking and growling. <laughs> hey! So Johnny does briefly rally, but during that, we get like a beefcake inset promo. So we get a second promo for this match because we got one before the match with Johnny V, like pre-recorded kind of style. And now we're getting beefcake talking. And while they're talking, that's when Johnny V starts getting his comeback. Like while beefcake's up in the inside corner and then he starts getting beaten up a little bit. Right. (laughs) That's kind of funny, but... So there's a, you know, it's it's very short-lived, the comeback there for Johnny V. And there's a reversal. 
and the sleeper is quickly applied. McMahon actually notes that he's never seen Brutus use that move. So they're kind of selling it now that he's... Piper had to put Adrian Adonis to sleep for him to cut his hair. So now Beefcake's got to put his guys to sleep to pull off his gimmick. I prefer the flying knee. That's right, yeah. So it's really funny. Jesse thinks it's a joke. That's not a sleeper. <laughs> Check the placement of that arm. And Vince is like, well, it doesn't matter either way because <laughs> at that point, Johnny V's out. <laughs> and we have... It's, I actually just noticing now, it's uh, John Bonello. And the re- and the re- that's what the re- this referee that's what Jesse calls him you know like as you mentioned before everybody yeah. else gets their name John Bonello's this referee ah oh, shame yeah <laughs> he must have pissed in his cornflakes or something one time and just kind of pissed him well, off. well I guess they just had a uh, you know a policy like yeah. certain refs you do like there's I was watching a match and I'm like how come I don't know this guy's name yeah and I'm like I recognize him but why don't I know his name because like yeah. they and then one of the commentators says well that's Sparky Sharpston there and I was like <laughs> oh maybe he he let it slip and I yeah, was yeah, almost yeah, gonna yeah, go yeah. and like Google whatever it was because this one guy yeah. I mean like this particular guy like his shirt is just soaked with sweat by yeah, the time it's right. done like yeah. he's just he's lost five pounds <laughs> you know by the time uh, the match is over I'm, I I believe I'm talking about the match between later and this time period so yeah. like mid-June yeah, yeah. Butch Reed versus Tito Santana put on an excellent match we can talk about that more later yeah so of course Johnny's asleep here and that so the great thing is, is, is John Bonello's check in the arm is the just before Johnny V goes out as his facial expressions you know as he's caught in the sleep <laughs> and then he like slowly stops doing them and then like goes to sleep <laughs> oh Johnny V's funny man I didn't realize how much I love this guy so Beefcake goes and puts his coat back on and does the strutting and the cutting and all the it's like all of a sudden it's all there you know like Dream Team Beefcake yeah. is gone and right. the barber is here but he's got like these actual tiny silver shiny scissors as yeah. opposed to the the barber pole garden yeah, he's shears. Yeah, he's, you know. he's almost got your nose hair eyebrows scissors, yeah. you know? Like. Yeah, I know. Are they, what's he even got there? <laughs> yeah, it's they're like, just pretty, yeah. they're, they're bigger than that, but they're, yeah, they're, they are on the small side compared and to what then, you see with a normal barber, yeah. I, well, yeah, eventually, well, later on his gimmick, he's like a landscaper. He's got That's like right, the, yeah, he's got the, the shears. He's got the, yeah. he's got the barber pole handle shears. Yeah, <laughs> they're huge. Like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it's interesting too, because they established something in this time. I saw people talking about this online, about different submissions out of a list of, let's say four or five classic ones, sleeper being one of them. And there was this whole debate and conversation going on about, about, you know, that a sleeper never, whoever submitted the sleeper. So then of course everyone starts piling on, on, you know, like, well, Piper put Adonis to sleep and this and this and Vern Gagne and da, 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 you know, all these people. And then people got off into a side conversation about the great ways that they would wake them up. And so Beefcake's got this deal. Like he does the same thing. Like right. the, ref, the ref's always like, hey, you come back and wake him up. <laughs> like, he's not going to just get him <laughs> yeah. on his own. And then Beefcake like, okay, fine. And like yeah. he sits him up. <laughs> so he, sh- he shaves Johnny V the side of his head. He gives right. him this really bad clip job on both sides. So right. he's like missing a lot of hair, but not on top or the back. And so then he he's his way of, and I guess Beefcake switches it up. He doesn't always do the same thing. I think some guys do like a karate chop or something to the neck to wake yeah. the guy up. But this time Beefcake just stomps on the back of his neck in his head. He sits him up and then just stomps on it and then Johnny V wakes up and is like kind of like the Crockett hair hair matches we saw where guys do the great like realization of like that they're oh they touch the side of their head and Johnny V like starts you know freaking out so yeah, a little bit of fun stuff. Just a way to like, you know, this is this is the beginning of Beefcake's slowish but steady rocket to the, like, you know, the top of the card when he's basically standing side by side with Hogan in the, in a, you know, Mega Powers Light kind of, you know, position for a while there. Uh, yeah, yeah, he he won't reach the same heights as your Flares, your Hogan's, your Savage, but Ed Leslie, I mean, he'll still be making a paycheck, you know, long one, after the one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, long after the shine is off his star. Yeah, and he goes through a bunch of aliases in uh, the '90s, but these are the good old days for. Uh, 
Ed Leslie, Brutus the Barber. And, you know, I met the guy when he came, and he was a polite guy, nice guy, and I yeah. felt bad for him because even then, he's like he said, yeah, you know, before the parasailing incident, yeah. uh, he was going to be a world champ and all that. It was, yeah, you know, I, it's hard to say if that would ever happen, but, I mean, certainly, like, I think the icy belt was definitely his, if not for that parasailing accident. Yeah. yeah. And what with Hogan being his best buddy, yeah, you know, probably would have been. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like such a different era, but of course I can track the title changes at a certain point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I remember with disdain being like, everybody's held, everybody's a ex-world champion. Yes. Yeah. Which that, I thought. It's a hard, it's, it's one of the hardest comparisons of things like Attitude Era versus like Golden Age is the title changes for the most part were few and far between and people had longish runs and sort of this impactful thing. When Attitude Era got to the peak of like Monday Night Wars, well, it just became this weekly ratings, just uh, what the hell are we going to do? Like, and it was just like crash TV and title change, title change, title change, title change. Sometimes like things like the hardcore title would change like three or four times in one night. And it just, you know, all of a sudden everybody's a 12 time this champion. And it's just like, well, you know, none of those championships meant as much as this one over here. Like, in a way, you know, because it just because of how they're presented and they're forgettable, you know. And it, but again, if you were at your peak peak fandom in those years, then you would have those ones, you know, blazoned into your mind. And so it's 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 a bit situational for anyone who's listening and anyone who watches. You know, it depends on what you were watching at the time or when you were, if you were a fan of that period strong enough, you're gonna remember. But I there's certainly so much years of wrestling where I watched a lot of wrestling, but I don't retain you know the lineage of of titles like like you say because it just became too there's just too many of them to track. It's easier in this mid-80s period we're talking about because you go over the course of the year and like tag titles change like once, maybe twice a year. Like it was spaced out. I always thought Sting was going to be wearing gold yeah. like for a more often than not. Yeah, I mean, he certainly had a lot of title reigns, but I think he didn't have very many long title reigns. And he I mean, well, the first one, when he got it, yeah. finally, it was like, at last, yeah, you know, they're yeah. going to let him wear the strap for a couple years or whatever. Yeah. And I finally got a sense from Jim Cornette. He was saying like, well, it was the Sting versus Luger didn't work because yeah. they were both too green. They they at, at that point, Sting having the belt and fighting Luger, you've got seven years of professional wrestling experience in the ring yeah. and it didn't work. He said, you, those guys versus Flair, wonderful. But when Sting had the belt, they were like, we got to get it. We got to take this strap off him. Yeah. Right. And his first run, which I, I was always stunned. Like, yeah. why was that so quick? And, you well, know. Well, they misplayed it because they, we'll, we'll save it for another time, but I don't want to get too deep down this rabbit hole because we will be into that stuff eventually. But yeah, they, they basically, they kind of blew two different storylines at the same time and, and sort of, ended all of his options in a few months. He was all of a sudden, it was like, well, you could have done this or you could have done that. You didn't do either. And you kind of wasted both. So now what? <laughs> and, and, and they just, the business metrics or the pressure from, you know, business standpoint, how show results. And of course he took over when the business softened. So it was WWF felt some of that same pain. So it was sort of almost bad timing, right? It took so long to get the belt on him. And then it kind of, they kind of missed that glory period. Like it was right at the end of the, of that business boom from the eighties to there. And that's the, one of the first times they really experienced the downturn of, of the business was, was right around that time. So <laughs> what that didn't work in, in Sting's favor. Yeah. Well, I've got a big soft spot for Surfer Sting. Oh yeah. Love I love Surfer Sting. Love by Surfer far Sting. my favorite. Like it's not even close. I mean, I mean you, know. you know, even not just, I mean, there, 
I mean, I mean to say, like you know, as compared to Crow Sting, yep. I, I meant just like Surfer Sting was yeah. like so exciting, you oh, know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like we were still in our, things. you know, we were still impressionable. And when I got yes. a look at Sting, Surfer Sting in '87 or '88, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, here it UW, is. UWF. I remember him and Eddie Gilbert and Rick, Rick Steiner, like in, in UWF. When I first came across UWF, that was like one of the factions was those three. Missy mm-hmm. yeah. Hyatt with them, and it was just and he just looked great. Yeah, when, th- th- there is like a case where Flair made Sting look oh, yeah. like. I mean, it was so exciting. And I happened to have my machine. So I was able to record one of these half hour television matches. And I just watched it over and over again, you know, and was like really a big Sting fan immediately. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it was, that was a great, that was a great time. So much promise. (laughs) Okay. So we have one more thing on this television. Uh, You know, I didn't want to skip over it. I was going to, I didn't think it was that important, but I saw something and I was like, wait a minute. This promo is iconic, you know, like for no, with no other reason than one visual. But uh, I'll let Jeff explain an interview with Mr. Randy Savage and Mean Gene Okerlund. Well, this particular interview, it seems to be the one that uh, people yeah. refer to. I mean, Savage is known for his crazy voice and, you know, being entertaining on the mic. And everybody knows that uh, Savage could talk and he developed something so unique and distinct that uh, it was a big part of his appeal was his uh, ability to be interviewed. And now I'm not. So this one, he comes out and he's got the classic purple Macho Man shirt. I have, yeah. you know, I, I found a place that was selling them and I bought four copies (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you know I like to do that's the shirt that I wore when we went to go see AEW for example but so he's wearing that classic shirt yeah of course the shades and um not too specific just like wild psychedelic headgear do-rag and you know kind of a bandanas on his wrists but he's got a handful of coffee creamers and his whole thing is like he's just saying he's the best yeah illustrating it with his you know his magic reveal yeah like cream of the crap cream of the crap yeah yeah, and and all of a sudden shows this thing he's hiding like a diamond all of a sudden but it's a creamer (laughs) and i mean he it's it's a bit odd like he puts one in gene's pocket takes it out he puts one on his own head and does a little twirl around with it like off balance on balance doesn't matter because like the the, the creamer tumbles (laughs) off his head yeah yeah yeah. So like, and he's basically saying that, you know, as far as his words, he's like in a position I shouldn't be in. Yeah, Jack Tony, he's to blame. Outside interference. And he's going on about he should, he's still the champ. Yeah, he's still the champ. And he's like going to get Hogan too. He's going to get his IC belt back (laughs) and he's going to get Hogan. This past Christmas, my brother bought me a t-shirt that happens to be on the t-shirt. It's a picture of Savage, you know, holding the creamer and it says, oh yeah, cream of the crop. And, uh, that, the, um, it, uh, so this would be the one that, and there's no Elizabeth there. That's and, right. Yeah, yeah. And he's also he's not distinctly heel. Right. Right. Know? Yeah. He's more braggy. Like. But. Uh, yeah. But he'll say that shit even if he's a face. He, yeah. This yeah. Could, yeah. You know, like because these could be things he would say as a face. I'm the best. I'm the best. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So he's not talking about crushing somebody's larynx with a yep, you know yeah. ring bell. Yeah. So this he's is not the telling Elizabeth to shut up or. That's you know. right. So we're in this teasing Maybe, phase. Yeah, yeah, you don't know sure. how to, what do you, I mean, cause we know to boo Savage when he pulls Elizabeth yes. in front of the charging rhino. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's instinct and we're supposed to. So this one's gray zone That's or right. purple zone. And, um, cause it, it goes with either him and uh, yeah, like there's no Sherry, no Liz, nobody else, just him. And it, it's funny. Cause in a weird way, this is sort of like Macho Man's 
hard times promo because but people don't really know the promo they just know the the creamer joke you know yeah. the, the, that's that's it that, I, most people wouldn't be able to tell you one more thing that happened in this yet if you ask them to like like name a name a macho man promo or something and i think it would come up in a you know a survey list would come up pretty high <laughs> yeah i mean of course if you do listen carefully he explains that you know it's you'll you'll figure it out right away yeah. that this is like he's just lost his belt but he's, he's yeah. definitely positive yeah. <laughs> and he's going to get it all back now I see, I suppose, the appeal of it because it's 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 kind of a universal macho man promo. Yeah. He's got the classic shirt on. Right. It uh He's with Mean Gene. He's with Min Gene and everything is ahead. You know, yeah. his world title yep. in the WWF, never mind everything all else. the things that he'll you know, exactly in, in other promotions. Um so uh, yeah, it's the cream of the crop, which produced. Uh, also, you said uh, somebody's got a uh, painted on their. Yeah, yeah, room? it's like it's like a meme. I'm sure people, a lot of people have seen this. It's been on around but, for years, but, I think. But basically, but someone real, posted a meme. It looked actually, like it. Yeah, it looked like somebody had painted or somehow put up a decal of the cream of the crop image of Savage holding the creamer, like really blown up, really big on their living room wall. And the you know the like meme up the, the whole wall, not the whole wall. Well. Imagine like like almost half the wall being taken up from top to bottom, yeah. and then part of the top of the next wall where his hands kind of holding out the creamer. Or oh, whatever, the you know, like, two yeah. wall. <laughs> yeah, like, like the arm hangs out and takes up the other side of the wall, like but only oh, in the yeah. middle or whatever, right? Gotcha. So yeah, and I think the meme says something along the lines of "My wife asked me to do something fancy with the living room," or you know, something like that. Like just some kind of tease about like how he's joking that this is a classy thing to put up. <laughs> wow, I wonder if somebody real, but it looks real. Like somebody actually painted it their pretty real. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Sure. So that's fun. Well, I mean, especially since like, I guess part of it too is like Macho Man's just feeling creative. He's in the cafeteria, grabs a handful of creamers. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just silly little like stick that just ends up sticking. Okay, so we got a house show May 13th in San Diego. A honky-tonk man. He pins uh, Jerry Allen, who was that extra tag team partner in the, uh, in the, cro- in the not Crockett Cup, the <laughs> Tunny. Tunny family tag team tournament. And so, yeah, he pins him with the shake, rattle, and roll. But the important thing here is that after the match is over, the ring announcer declares that Jack Dunny has ruled and they will not ban the DDT. <laughs> so, Jimmy, oh. so Jimmy and Honky have to have their big, no, get all mad. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's going to take us to May 15th. This is the one that's in Houston. It's part of a TV taping, but the things I want to mention are dark matches on it and you can't get them. So we've got Ted DiBiase. That's right. Ted DiBiase is in ring cutting a promo and basically he's got a big history in Houston, Houston wrestling and all this other stuff. Plus he used to wrestle for the WWF. So like, you know, everyone's basically going to know who he is. He's announcing his return. He's essentially playing the good guy character that he'd kind of left UWF with at this time. So he's, he's not, he's not the million dollar man. He's not a heel. He's basically a baby face. And they note that the officials have to come out and separate them because what happens is while he's cutting his promo, the one man gang, another new entry into our, legacy of wrestling here he comes down for his match not against DiBiase against somebody else but he basically they end up getting into like almost getting into it and they have to be separated by officials because they're gonna have this big this big blow up so that's pretty crazy to think that like you know if you were there or in some of these early days you're gonna see a very different Ted DiBiase and I don't remember any video clips I didn't see any of this yeah so uh it it's all me learning something new for the (laughs) first time and this is also the, this is the night they record shows where I mentioned about that Macho Steamboat Icy Belt uh, title defense that's like on this DVD release of Unseen Matches that I couldn't find. Boo. The only other thought that I had there is that they had offered the Million Dollar Man shtick to Nick Bockwinkle. Right, yeah, that's right, yeah. But he went and worked behind the scenes instead. Yeah, 
the um, wrestler from Texas. So Gino Hernandez, Bruce uh, Pritchard will swear up and down that like they, you know, they also had eyes of giving him that role, but he, you know, unfortunately the guy actually passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, So he wasn't, and I can't remember the timeline if he's actually, if that has before or after this whole thing happens, but he was another guy that at least was in the conversation because he, he basically was playing that shtick. He already was doing it on his own, driving the fast cars and sunglasses and trying to pretend he was some kind of rich big shot. So he was, he would have been perfect for it. But yeah, DiBiase definitely was a super great performer, super talented and, and pulled it off. We had a few things on the May 18th primetime edition to get through. First, real quick, is a repeat match, and it's really just, it's almost like move for move the same match. The beginning's different, but the ending's very similar, and it's Johnny V and Brutus the Barber Beefcake doing it again, but this time in more of a house show setting instead of on syndicated TV like Superstars. This one's coming, I believe it's in Boston. The match just soaked in blood. I don't know if your match, you could cover any of the matches that were in from that card, but yep. it's a disgusting looking match. <laughs> yeah, that Sika versus Pete Doherty. There we go. Yeah, exactly. I think that was that one. So, so they're in Boston, you just said. Yeah. Basically, you know, real quick, you can see Johnny V's hair's already butchered. His top's looking good, but the sides have already been abused by Brutus and more to come. So basically, you know, he goes for the he goes for like the sneak attack that's Johnny V doesn't work he gets a little bit of offense in some funny stuff some some growls but the same idea it's a reverse into a whip into a corner into the sleeper into nighty night <laughs> into the scissors and the coat yeah. and now the top of the hair is getting chopped but the ref actually takes away Brutus's scissors right away last time he had the clippers and he did the sides this time he only gets to take a little bit off the top before the ref is able to save Johnny V and then uh, again we go through this time uh, Brutus uses the slap to the back of the neck to wake up his victim <laughs> and his Johnny former manager and Johnny V does the great Popeye like one eye closed what's going on yeah. trying to come out of the, the stupor <laughs> Johnny V's pretty funny so Bobby during this match during the sleeper he starts talking about the sleeper and I'm thinking of his Minnesota days and that he has to be talking about Vern Gagne, the master of the sleeper, but he ends up actually throwing it out to Paul Bosch, which is the Houston promoter because he's the sleeper as well. So it was almost like this little bait and switch. It was like the way he talked about it, a, a man I used to work for, da, 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 you know, he set it up everything, right? And I was ah. like, I, you know, and I'm sure he probably did work for Paul Bosch too, because he didn't kind of went everywhere, but I don't was, know this Paul Bosch. Yeah. He's uh, that's where, that's where Bruce Pritchard, that was his boss, Houston office. So not so not world class championship wrestling in Texas, but Houston had their own. Right, you did mention that. Yeah, so this Paul Bosch guy was a promoter. I believe he might have wrestled back in the day. He would do the commentary for their TV broadcast. Remind me like who that. their famous person was. Ooh, we'd have to go look it up. I th- you know yeah, I think well, I think I, they're all, I think basically to put it this way, there was a ton of wrestlers that you and I know that went through that territory. I'm not really sure who stayed there long enough to make it you know their territory. That, that I'm a little unsure well, of. Texas is a big place, room enough for two promotions. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Okay, so on the same episode of Primetime, we're starting to see things come to a head a little bit. We've been building and building this Heenan versus Patera and the Heenan family, this feud, and we're finally going to see a match, I think. A very interesting piece of lore about this match. Apparently, they did it twice. Oh, okay. Yeah, someone on the internet says that they recorded it the previous night at a different show. Like, if this is challenged, then they were doing superstars or or whatever. whatever. I I don't keep all that stuff straight. (laughs) (laughs) It was so bad that uh, McMahon said, you're you're doing the same one tomorrow. We're going to use, you know, this on TV instead of your last night's disaster. First attempt. <laughs> yeah, so I've heard about that in the same night between Savage and Bad News Brown, where he's like, get out there and wrestle again. Oh, God, yeah, how yeah. humiliating. 
but uh, if it's true. Anyway, so this match is actually fun. It's uh, in, in so many cases here, I've now come to see the brilliance of all these guys that uh, I didn't really appreciate how I thought Hercules was 220 and 6'3". <laughs> and what is he, 6'5 and 260? 275. Two, uh, yes, he's, he I, as, yeah. It was that, I'm telling you, Gary Hart ruined wrestling. <laughs> okay, he didn't ruin wrestling. I just didn't realize how big Hercules was. Because then he was wrestling Hogan and all these people, and I couldn't really and judge him as the big Slick, guy. Slick had his contract for a while, so there's exactly. another tall guy. So I didn't understand... He's really awesome in this match. So aggressive. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that he's he wrestles really fast. His offense is really it's, fast. It's, it's really, yeah. So he's in the ring waiting with the king, Harley Race. Yeah, I, did, I think I read something about that. So it's interesting. So they brought out backup. Yep. Jesse argues, I think, that uh, it's perfectly reasonable because Patera had been beating up Heenan so bad. <laughs> is Heenan there as well? I can't remember, but, you know, it's either a promo or something. There's lots yeah. of, ooh, my neck, ouch, my neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I, will, I will have to, like, uh, I, I don't think that Heenan's there because you've got, you know, the focus, my, the, the, you got the, the, the two heels in the ring. Yeah. And I don't recall Heenan. But Jesse is pointing out, you know, that the Harley race is there in case Heenan needs protection. So you would think that if he's not there now, Heenan will show up. <laughs> Ken Patera is wearing one of his old school wrestling outfits on his way to the ring, which is like there's a lot of flair, like these sleeves. <laughs> you remember um, Viserys, you know, all the sleeves, the, the master of whispers in, in Game of Thrones? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the monk, the you know, the chubby, yeah, sure, right, sure. the eunuch, and how like he had all the pockets in his sleeves, especially in the books. Right. You know, he could pull out a bit of poison or a sleeping drought okay. or, or draft or whatever. Or his weapons was the fact that he had so much stuff concealed, right? Like yeah. you never know what he could, he could produce a scroll and pen and here, send this message off to you know right. wherever the hell <laughs> so ken patera's got these four foot sleeves bell-bottom <laughs> sleeves and his, yeah, ri- and his yeah, arms yeah. you know and it's black and silver and sequined and uh, i think i recognize it from blonde ken patera okay. days yeah anyway so he gets uh, he's smart enough to take this gear off outside of the ring okay yeah but when he does get into the ring you know all he's got to do is turn his head and hercules launches into this raging bull assault he's he just gets right in there and like starts beating up a tarot. Her, uh, the Harley race just leaves the ring. He's okay, not, yeah. not required. Um, not even a distraction needed. <laughs> not really. And Patera doesn't even get hit from behind so much as Patera looks to the left and Hercules is in there. Right. One or two forearms are enough to open up the midsection for these knees and Hercules hits them 12 times. And each time he delivers a knee, you know, the other foot is doing the big percussive stomp on the mat. So they just, you know, it's just like, like 12 times, man. It's like, and they're fast. It's like faster than you can count. Like one, two, no, they're just like, (laughs) boom, boom, boom. They're just totally stunning Patera. So Hercules looks like this unstoppable maniac. Right. As Ken Patera is kind of caught in the corner there, and he's like slowly slinking, slumping down and going further and further <laughs> to the point where he's actually kind of laying on the mat. And then Hercules puts his shin across Patera's throat right. and starts choking him, grabs the second rope with his armpit yeah. on the top rope, and just like using all that extra tension from Leverage. the. Uh, yeah, exactly, to just strangle the hell out of Patera. So uh, it's. And then the, the complaining Jesse's got a great one. It's like, no, no, his foot's tangled up in the rope in there. Because <laughs> uh, the referee's like, just about to disqualify Hercules for all yeah. this illegal shin knee strangling. 
Patera does manage to get a shot into Hercules' midsection, and that gives him uh, a, a breather for a, so, a second, and then he hits him again in a third time, but Hercules doesn't like that. So a knee puts the end to this brief rally from our baby face Ken Patera, who's fresh out of prison and ready to get his life straight. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and put Bobby Heen in the grave. <laughs> That's right. Bobby Heen, you never wrote me any letters or visited me. My birthday, you <laughs> promised. It is a knee to the gut that Hercules uses to cut off uh, Ken Patera's very brief uh, assault. But after a few punches, Ken Patera receives from Hercules. Ken Patera shows that he, too, can be a kicking punching, hitting, stomping, strike machine, and he takes over for a bit. This world's strongest <laughs> man, throwing punches back, fighting fire with fire. So, of course, Hercules has got to rake the eyes now to cut yep. off this baby face rally. Now Hercules starts to target the lower back. Okay. Yeah, he kind of gets behind Ken Patera and really aims for that midsection, like just above the tailbone with these yeah. clubbing forearms from this hulking man. And uh, Patera, whenever he hits that, it's like the shock waves go up his shoulders. And he, he's just like, ah, selling it, doing kind of a like calisthenics throughout the <laughs> ring as he's getting these shots um, up and down his spine. The chiropractor's in session. And Jesse's got a funny little blurb here. He's like, no, I think, aha, here's finally some evidence that Heenan, well, actually, it's not that he's there, but uh, because Heenan doesn't throw any foreign objects into the ring. Doesn't he get up on the apron to distract. Doesn't tangle. So if he's there, he's just ooch, At ooch, ooch. <laughs> yeah, like really hiding because of the uh, beating he's taken. My bad that I don't have that detailed, but in my point form notes here, all I have as evidence is that Jesse says, well, I think Heenan's showing great. And McMahon says, great what? <laughs> Greatness. By just, you know, being who he is and doing what he's doing. <laughs> it's a rare moment of uh, loss for words from our slick tongue, Jesse the Body Ventura. Meanwhile, back in the ring, Hercules appears to be setting up, well, a backbreaker would be the setup for a bear hug. He wraps those massive forearms uh, yes. around the injured, well, not injured, but worked over. The lower, tender. The tender, thank you. The tender, lower back, and the bear hug's in place. And Hercules is writhing in pain. Sorry, it is Ken, Ken Patera writhing in pain at the uh, this semi-demi-human <laughs> This this legendary <laughs> Greek god, Hercules, but the world's strongest man managed to take his arms and get them in between the gaps, and he squeaks through, and it's almost like he's reaching deep into his own pockets. He's like, now we're done. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cassidy in his pockets. Yeah, I found that really fun. So he pulls an orange Cassidy, and he puts his hands in his pockets to to uh, get into, uh, you know, where, where there's a gap. Yes. And then he overpowers Hercules. Nice. And breaks the, the bear hug. And uh, Hercules is completely stunned to be overpowered. So Hercules punches Ken Patera a couple of times. And then the Irish whips the Olympian. But Ken Patera has the presence of mind to reverse the Irish whip and flattens Hercules with a clothesline that could set world records and win a gold medal. Now, I see very unique Ken Patera body slams. You know, I, I don't even really remember these. He picks up Hercules, and instead of, like, slamming him down, like, Hercules did the most amazing yeah, body slams yeah, right. on Ricky. But these ones are not like, I'm going to put you through the mat. Ken Patera's like, I'm going to shot put you. He puts him up and he shot puts Hercules. <laughs> these body slams, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's almost like next time he's going to do a discus. With yeah, yeah. <laughs> Send Hercules out the ring. Uh, anyway, they're, they're really cool because, like... Yeah. When he's in the position, it's kind of launching. Patera, yeah, 
he stays where he is and Hercules goes flying. <laughs> Twice he does that. Really great. And then Ken Patera puts on a bear hug. Okay. Hercules can't believe this. He's, I mean, Hercules sells really well yeah. when he looks so in pain. When he's in pain, his facial expressions are great. They're fantastic. So yeah. this was a um, really fun, short match, super aggressive. I, I, I can't see what was so bad the night before because I had a great time. Her- yeah, maybe they just fell over on a spot or something. I guess or- so. Anyway, we can't have Hercules submit, so the King Harley Race goes in there and That's delivers good. a real nice flying knee into Ken Ooh, Patera's back. Got a good flying knee. The kind that you have to sell. You don't, you, you know, you don't spin the person around, Mr. Wonderful. You can't right. run in and give him a flying <laughs> knee from behind. Anyway, so the King breaks the submission. Of course, it's going to be a disqualification, and they start to lay the beats into Ken Patera, the Heenan family. Now, I wish I could say that Bobby Heenan got in there and started going to work, but uh, yeah. what does happen... Right. Wish they brought out Bundy and Orndorff. And- oh, yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> Instead, Billy Jerk from yeah. Portland, Oregon, rushes the ring and uh, scares away the heels. Yeah. And then Ken Patera shows he's he's not... He's fine. He hasn't bladed, yeah. you know, and um, he hasn't even... I mean, he took a lot of damage, but he's this anvil to borrow a nickname and uh, he, he still looks fine you know right, yeah. I mean he's just had, he's just been uh, he could be pounded on he's made of yeah like, hard stuff that's right so uh, yeah good times fun match uh, I, Heenan was definitely a non-factor yeah. I think he let the wrestlers do the stuff and uh, yeah makes sense but I think he did show great greatness. Great greatness. By being around. <laughs> by being Heenan. With the fortitude taking a beating and, and continuing to show up. <laughs> Okay, the main event of this particular prime time. Well, let's talk about the idea of Ricky Steamboat's title reign. It's kind of like the Loch Ness Monster or like Bigfoot or something. It's it's hard to find. Cryptozoology. There's, there's rumored sightings, uh, but I'm not sure right. how much evidence we have. Right. The proof. So we've got, he wins the title at WrestleMania 3. There was no 3. WrestleMania 3. <laughs> You're <right>. lying. <laughs> wins it at WrestleMania 3. CGI. Defends it against Hercules on Saturday's main event. And then basically defends it against the number one contender, the Honky Tonk Man, in June. So in between, we know there's house show matches against Macho Man, plenty of them. Only one of them is listed as being on a DVD. Haven't been able to find that one on TV. This is the only other listing I found. So I'm like, wait a minute. Butch Reed versus Ricky Steamboat. So that's fun. And it's from the primetime desk. And it's kind of neat because Monsoon and Heenan are talking about the match and it's already started. Like, you know, it's in the little inset TV screen box that they superimpose in the back, you know, the background for them. And before it can even expand, you see that, like, Pearl Harbor, <laughs> but Reed's already beating up Ricky Steamboat, and he hasn't gotten out of his outfit. So the, Ricky Steamboat's going to have a uniform on for a chunk of this match, because as he's getting beaten up, he, you know, there's no time to take off any of the work outfit. It's just time to go straight to the beating. So Reed has blue trunks with uh, red knee pads and boots, and Ricky's got on basically a red gi and headband, and he's got his uh, black belt around the gi, and he's got the white long trunks, white boots. So this is his WrestleMania 3 mainly. I'm not sure if he wore that jacket. Actually, he was probably all white at WrestleMania 3, but not important. So Ricky's already being clobbered as soon as the inset window begins to show the action. And Reed does a whip and a knee to the gut, which sends Ricky Steamboat to the canvas. It's really funny. So he's so hurt. He spins. He falls. He defies gravity and somehow gets up without using his hands or his legs or something. It's like he bounces back up. And then he stumbles backwards. Like, again, like the Matrix, like 
dodging the bullets or something. And he ends up so that he's like laying with his like shoulder blades on the second rope with his head out of the ring. He's like, he's just taking a nap. <laughs> he's just having a little snooze. Yeah, poor Ricky getting <laughs> clobbered. No, no respect. <laughs> So Reed comes over and he's choking Ricky and begins to take his belt off of his outfit from his gi. So now Ricky's sitting on the middle of the second rope with his torso outside of the ring. So he's like looking into the ring, you know, so he's sort of like his legs are in the ring, but his torso's outside. Yeah. But Reed's beating him up and punching him and elbowing him. And it's just, it's not going well for him at all. Trying to get that gi off. Yeah, his jacket's finally starting to come open. But if it does, it's probably just going to tie his arms up, right? It's going to be like, this is, things can only get worse. So now at this point, the dragon's actually standing all the way on the apron and receiving more punishment. Reed really takes his time, but he does this nice high vertical suplex to bring, you know, the martial arts expert back in over the top rope, slamming him in. And Reed finally finishes stripping off, you know, his jacket, rolling him out of it and exposing Ricky's skins. Now he doesn't have any, you know, the geese, if it was armor, it's gone. Leather armor, no more. Well, mostly it's the choking, you know, the hoist gracie, use your gi to choke somebody out. That was, that's legal in, in uh, judo. That's right. And so he's obviously he's choking him with the uh, with his belt and stuff. And I, no one looks like they're in more trouble being choked than Ricky Steamboat. Like Ricky yep. Steamboat can look like his specialty. Just, yeah, exactly. So of course the refs in there warning Reed of all these cheating ways, and Reed kicks Steamboat in the head as he's trying to stand up. This actually seems to knock some sense into the dragon. <laughs> this kick to the head seems to be the thing that wakes. It's like smelling salts or something, right? So Ricky's finally able to like muster up a chop, you know, <laughs> and smack Reed a little bit at least. There's a head first ram into the corner. Reed's still on top of him. And Ricky stumbles away as Reed axe handle smashes him in the back. So Ricky's just really showing all the pain. And throughout the steamboat is staring out to the crowd. He's always looking. He's looking for an answer out there. He's looking for a tag. He he's, needs some help. It's, nothing's going nothing's gonna to happen for him. He's had zero offense here. It's just, it's just Reed following yeah, him around, beating on him. Yeah. Gets on my nerves. <laughs> so Rick, Butch Reed gets a little overconfident here. So... Ricky Steamboat's able to get up on his feet and give a big chop to the overconfident Reed. But Reed, of course, goes for the eyes, as all good heels do, because that one chop's not going to derail, you know, his his momentum and stuff. He's a very big man, Butch Reed. Yes, very strong. And he shows it by giving Ricky Steamboat the Randy Savage treatment. So he lifts Ricky sky high (laughs) with the the two-handed choke, the hangman choke, whatever you want to call it. And he's just hurting him there. Monsoon's great. He wants to know where the ref learned to count because <laughs> the ref doesn't seem to be, you know, really bugging Reed about this whole blatant choke. So Ricky's just dropped hard to the mat. Reed goes for a cover. There's a two count, but a really weak kick out. At this point, Reed tosses Steamboat over the top rope and he lands on the apron and he's barely hanging on to the bottom rope. So he's kind of like, you know, it's almost like he's trying to avoid going out of the Royal Rumble. Maybe he's got one foot on the ground, one foot off the ground. Yeah. And here's a slick comes up because the exposed midsection of the dragon. So he comes up with this cane. His cane. He's going to he's going to wallop him. It's great. The referee catches Slick before he can do it and starts admonishing him. And so Slick's pleading innocent because he actually hasn't hit him yet. And it's great because Bobby's just like, he hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> like you, you, can't, right. you can't complain him for like, you know, thinking about it. <laughs> so Dr. Styles out there, he's got that white suit, the black hat, the white band on his hat. And he's, uh, you know, just trying to plead his case to the, to the ref. Reed brings the dragon back in and goes for a whip. And there's this like clumsy misclothesline spot. They really botch it up here. Ricky ends up kind of like in his armpit. <laughs> I'm right. not sure where he's supposed to be. So all he can think to do is he's got to strike Butch Reed in the, in the midsection because it's like he probably was supposed to be on the other side of him. I don't know. But he's just doing whatever he can to salvage whatever went wrong there. He strikes the forehead. But again, Reed attacks the eyes. It's, you know, a weak spot on all wrestlers. Can't get any can't get any love, Ricky nope. Steamboat. So there's a whip and a pretty unconvincing attempt at an attack from Butch Reed as the dragon baseball slides through the natural's legs, gets up big chops and strikes. 
Reed is whipped, and Ricky lowers his head to attempt a back body drop, but he eats a boot, and <laughs> again, no offense for Ricky. This is no 50-50 match. No, not at all. Gentlemen. So there's a clothesline that Ricky sells really well, even though Butch appeared to kind of miss the mark a bit. It's like it didn't, the, the, the clothesline didn't look very good, but the selling did. Right. <laughs> there's a knee drop to the back of the dragon, and Heenan just really thinks Steamboat's, you know, ready to be finished off here. He wants it done. So there's this, uh, a second knee and a really cocky pin attempt, but there's a kick out. And Reed plants Ricky with a big slam and a really nice running elbow drop. So now he's starting to kind of look like he's, you know, hitting his offensive groove and nailing him and stuff. Reed decides not to cover, and most of the camera, it's over. <laughs> Apparently he's declaring the match has already been won. Just hand him the belt. So he's picking up the dragon by the hair. We get a really nice press slam attempt. Butch Reed had a really good press slam. Right. And I really like the way he set it up. He kind of had his hands closer together than a lot of guys do it. So it really, I don't know, there's a certain way it looks. It looks mm-hmm. really good. But as he lifts Ricky up above his head, Ricky slides over down his back and then delivers a back suplex. So both men are left, you know, flat on the mat, hurt. Reed's only taken the one suplex and Ricky's just already all beaten up. Both men stagger to their feet and Ricky slaps the mat several times. It's like he's hitting the power up button in a video game. He's like, give me more energy. <laughs> button basher. That's right. Ricky strikes Butch, and then that's when Butch swings, but he misses at our hero ducks. In this match, anytime Reed is, like, called on to miss an attack, it doesn't look very good. <laughs> it's like he's really, like, he really overdoes it, like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to hit you, you know. Like, right, okay. So Steamboat grabs a headlock to try and salvage a little bit of this botch, and there's a push-off, and they collide really hard. Like, you know, those, when guys run into each other, this is yeah. one of those ones where, like, the sound of it, they really sound like they, you know, their chest and shoulders really smashed into each other. So Bush just drops like a rock and Steamboat staggers and spins to the mat. And at this point, Heenan's getting upset about something at Monsoon and it's great because he's like, he's getting upset, but then he starts playing up the uh, the hurt neck angle. Right. And Monsoon just loves Heenan wincing and, and coughing. I think it was like a, a, something as simple as he coughed and that, yep. that hurt his neck. Right. And Monsoon's like, I love it. <laughs> yep. Sadistic. Yeah. Reed recovers first and heads to the corner and the top rope. So he's going to fly because if you've seen it, the man's got a good clothesline from up there. And it's interesting, Steamboat, he's sliding on all fours backwards to that corner as if he doesn't know where Butch Reed is. <laughs> he's like, right. he's like looking around, like sneaking backwards. And, but he times it well and he stands up just in time to like turn, grab Butch Reed and slam him off the top rope yes. for like the first really devastating move that he could pull off all, the whole match. Fire slam. That's right. Exactly. So Slick is up on the apron protesting and Steamboat gives him the George Steele, you. You're right. <laughs> Ricky goes to the floor and chases Slick. So Slick climbs into the ring and runs through. And Butch Reed is out on his feet. He's standing there staggered, not really knowing what's going on. So at this point, Steamboat gives up on the manager. But we've seen this before. What does is, what is Ricky Steamboat do when he has someone at his mercy with their back to him? Um, when, when they have... Oh, he slides. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, yeah. If they can't see him, <laughs> yeah, he's, right. a, he's like he's like he's got the white hat. He's a good guy. He's that's like, right. I'll just go where you can. Yeah. You know. So he baseball slides through, through Butch Reed's legs, legs and gets stands up. And up and <laughs> Surprise! As opposed to hitting from behind. Yeah, chop, <laughs> strike, chop, and he bounces to the ropes with this big, dynamic, big cross body. But the big strong man Butch Reed catches him and stumbles backwards, and they both go over the top rope. Yeah. And when you watch carefully, Butch Reed gets DDT'd on the apron on the way out. It doesn't look good for him. He grabs right. his head. Oh, it looks painful. Ow. Yeah. So Heenan asks if you can lose the title on a countout. And Gorilla says, absolutely not. And uh, incidentally, this is a non-title match. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? I finally fa- thought I f- was seeing a Ricky Steamboat title defense. And nope, it's a non-title match. Oh, well, could have been. Well, I, yeah, we haven't finished, got to the match yet. But now you're me. thinking <laughs> non-title. Like, shit, are they going to pin him? Oh, God. Yeah, don't yeah. do it. You know, give our man some dignity. So Ricky barely makes it back in before the 10 count. And the bell rings as Slick's man is counted out. 
It's pretty funny. There's a young guy in the front row giving Butch the FU sign. <laughs> Slick's pushing him back into the end of the ring. There's this young guy giving him the old right, up right. yours. Up yours business. <laughs> so, yeah, that may be one of the only televised matches of Steamboat against anyone of any notoriety when he was Intercontinental Champion. And it is frustrating. It is definitely a 75-25 match or a 70-30 match. And, you know, yeah. I mean, he's the champ now. You know, like, I don't know what happened there because, you know, Butch can sell. So yeah. they were directed to have, I mean, a, you know, like he got dominated by Butch, you know, and that's it's just... Too bad because, like, I, I think Butch is great. Actually, uh, yeah, um, no, he's he's really good. I so th- you know, little um, strange yeah. booking to have Steamboat seem so ineffective. That's right, absolutely, yeah. especially as champ. Frustrating. That's right. We move along through May here. So one interesting note from May twentieth: a Memphis court ruled that the WWF couldn't use the King gimmick in Tennessee for Harley Race because of ah. Jerry Lawler. So he showed up with a gun. Yeah, no name, can't use the name, robe or crown. In Tennessee. Yeah, that's right. Wow, that's hilarious. Yeah, for sure. So then we're going to go to, we got a, Butch Reed's going to be coming back here for an important match, people. But right before we get there, just one quick note. It's a really fun house show. May 25th, Valentine and Bravo defeat the Rougeaus in Verdon, Quebec, when Pat Patterson interferes. Because <laughs> he's a Quebec guy like himself, right? So, Oh, wow. Yeah, so the Rougeaus go down? Yeah, the Rougeaus lose in Quebec because of Pat Patterson. <laughs> well, they must be building heat for a return. Yeah, it must be, yeah. So that May 25th, that day of that host show, there's also a syndicated TV show of prime time. And the main event of that card is our man Tito Santana versus Butch Reed. And when we talk about looking through our, our information for, you know, the show, we're mostly, mostly trying to find like sort of, I don't know, what you would, like the important notes, like new things or important happenings. But sometimes we have to pick things based on what's the best, what's, the, what, what's actually, you know, gets you excited about watching wrestling sometimes is the wrestling match itself. And that's what we have here. A hidden gem, everybody. But before we give you the blow by blow of this 20 minute treasure, I want to talk about Tito. So I watched some shoot interviews and we have probably alluded to the fact that there was a possible world title run in Tito's future around the time that the Ultimate Warrior and Davey Boy got fired and Brett was uh, not quite established as a singles wrestler as well as Tito, that's for sure. Yeah, as a main event singles wrestler. Yeah, he was sort of still in the, the IC level. Right. And so there's a funny story about Tito being told that it came down to apparently, you know, the short list included a few names, but Tito's is on there and Brett was on there. Yep. And he was approached by one of the booker and said, ah, oh, Tito, you know, it was down between you and Brett. And they went with Brett. And as we know, but Tito's very humble about the story. He goes, ah, you know, 20 minutes later after I had that conversation, Ted DiBiase comes up to me and says, hey, you know what they just told me? It was down to me and Brett. <laughs> so apparently every guy on the short list, you yeah, know, yeah, that's right. got told that they were... That Almost, close. <laughs> yeah, that close to being the, the guy. But some evidence that supports the idea that Tito might have got a big run. Did you hear about the Barcelona-Spain match? Oh, yeah, I, I've sent you a link I'm years ago. I was, the uh, you know, exactly, yeah. Oh, well, I didn't pay any attention. I tried to get you to watch it years ago. <laughs> yeah, when I first found it, I was like, oh, my God. Well, then I didn't. So tell me about it. So there's this like kind of international. I, mean, I now taping. I know about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But so I mean, you know, we'll just it's, it's we'll, this era. No, no, no. Well, yeah, ninety one, ninety one, Okay, so right before he could have been given. Them. That's right. Yeah. So there's this match, and a lot of people will know about it. It's in Barcelona, Spain. It's a WWF show. 
The Undertaker's well, sort of new, like came in in 90, fall of 90, right, for Survivor Series, debuted. But I remember I remember the clean Davy Boy pin, like yeah. they, they're putting him over, right? Like Yeah, and so The Undertaker's this sort of unstoppable monster. Tito's definitely, you know, on the decline and being used to ju- put over people in big matches. And so if you watch this match, you're expecting one thing and you get another. So he has a body bag match against the undertaker in barcelona spain and i haven't seen this match in a couple of years but essentially it's it's the matches as you might expect at first but it goes a lot longer than you think it's gonna go and tito actually manages to like when you think he's gonna get pinned or get put stuffed in the bag <laughs> he manages to like get out of it and tito manages i forget the order of it all but he pretty much manages to foil paul bearer or maybe it was bruce pritchard back then it's probably paul bearer uses the urn crank cranks the, the undertaker with the urn and i think he Paddle drives him like two or three times and he pins or the end result is he puts the Undertaker in a body bag and zips him up in Barcelona, Spain and Tito beats the Undertaker. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah, I, I've only just heard about it, really, because I didn't take it seriously years ago when you sent me the link. Yeah. You know, so they apparently wanted to tour everywhere where they spoke Spanish, and Tito was going to be waving the flag yeah. at the WWF. Some deals fell through with these promoters and these locations for business, yeah. and then and then Tito, I guess, was as appealing when they weren't going to be touring California yeah. and, uh, you know, Spain and, right. uh, you know, Central America. America. Yeah. The other thing going from South Bret Hart's America. favor was that obviously he was a huge star in Canada, but he was like a massive star in Germany and different parts of Europe. Whoa. So when they did their European tours, they would get more mail f- about Bret Hart than like Hulk Hogan, like when Hogan was there for his last part of, you know, 92, 93 before he left. And that's how popular he, that Bret Hart was. And that was part of it. Again, you know, you know, everything, there's more than that. But I mean, it was another factor to consider. It was like, okay, this guy's like this big international star. He's at a certain level with the American audience, but he's at a much higher level in Canada and in different places in Europe, which WAF was expanding a lot back then and, and branching out into, you know, overseas trips. And of course, Canada was always a big part of their, their loop. So that was important for them. Right. Well, I hadn't seen that, but uh, I now I know it's out there. I'm probably going to go watch it because it was uh, kind of a shock when Undertaker did actually take the belt off Hogan. It was like, what? Yeah, yeah. It just yeah. didn't happen like this. You know, like <laughs> he had just got there, it seemed like, yeah, you know, right, yeah. and what the heck? Yeah, it was a full, it was actually a year because it was Survivor Series to Survivor Series. So a full year, basically, but still, he seemed new. So Butch is practically a member of the Volkoff gang tonight. He's all in red. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He could be there at, I guess, uh, the Koloff, Volkoff, you name it. Right. Zukov. <laughs> there is lots of uh, cheeky Volkoff read six-man tags, even on TV. Ah. Yeah. Well, he's got a red vest, kind of a slick-looking velvety uh, sort of material. Yeah. A headband that says Butch on it. He's got red trunks with stars. and he's got- I, l- I love the sh- slick interview shortly after selling Hercules to Heenan, where he describes, like, why would you sell the contract? And he's like, because I got this man. And he's like, you know, now he's got another strong man. Right. <laughs> it's like, I can afford I can take the money over here and keep this guy instead. And the full knee pads and elbow pads. Tito looks a bit, uh, you know, mm, underdressed. He's got a purple t-shirt. <laughs> 
and blue shorts. Every once in a while, Trunks. he'd have a ring jacket, but not very often. Yeah, I can picture it. It had a little bit of bling. Of course, we start with a collar and elbow, and early in the match, the commentators speculate that Butch Reed is the stronger of the two, and Tito will be well advised not to get in any kind of test of strength with his opponent. And actually, I'm going to enjoy the fact that there's no McMahon on this call. Okay, But yeah. there is a clown, Craig DeGeorge, oh, who yeah, uh, yeah. shows his ignorance is, on... Is he actually on the commentary team? Yeah. Okay, yeah, because he would usually do sort of the mean gene backstage stuff, and he's in this era, the updates start being Craig DeGeorge, and I don't know, not to be mean, but like, he was always like, he was a guy who had too much saliva in his mouth. <laughs> you know, when he's doing his little reports, it just, there was sort of like, it was like, somebody get in there with one of those dentist things, the suction, you know, like, <laughs> clear it out yeah. of it. Well, he uh, puts his foot in his mouth many times okay. in this, and Jesse gives it to him, you know. <laughs> Some of it's probably real. (laughs) Butch backs our hero Tito into the ropes and the referee has to get in there and separate them physically. Just like Chewbacca and that trash compactor, a kind of a Tommy Young situation. Uh, I start to wonder, I mean, I watch the match and then I watch it again and take my notes. And when I'm taking the notes, you know, I'm like, now, who is this ref? Because uh, he's pretty good. I got a new ref that, unfortunately, <laughs> we don't, uh, his name is, you don't hear it, like Joey Morella. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, these yeah. other names are burned. Danny yeah, Davis. Yeah. We know yeah. these names That's of these right. refs. But if you don't get the name, then it's John Bonello. We need to go find out who the guy is. Yeah, and take a the, screenshot and take it over to the, you know, one of my wrestling groups and be like, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, do our own work to find yeah, out who right. these guys But this guy's a great ref. Okay. And he's, um, well, basically, to me, he looks like a Homer Simpson with hair, and, and but not fat. <laughs> Not that fat. Well, he's just got that kind of like, he's got that... Uh, Fred Flintstone, Homer kind of... He's got a big jaw yeah, and yeah, five yeah. o'clock shadow. Definitely yeah, got yeah, the yeah. shadow. And, you know, his eyes bulge a bunch of times as he's like telling the guys <laughs> yeah. like this or that. But um, he's good fun. And he works hard tonight. Starting with having to break them up because Butch won't let go of Tito. And Tito won't let go of Butch. But they are on the ropes. So the referee's got to get in there and physically separate the two men. Now, these guys, I mean, geez, it just started and they got their fists clenched and they're there wanting to, they want to punch up. So the yeah. referee's like, hey, he's pointing at the fist. He's like, come on, none of that, none of that. <laughs> Slapping people's, you know, <laughs> slaps on the fists. So the guys will actually wrestle. So they oblige and they get into another collow and elbow. Tito applies a quick wrist lock. He gives Butch Reed only one little twist, one rotation before the heel rakes the eyes, of course, and then pushes back Tito into the ropes again while Tito is bent backwards over that top rope and the ref is telling them to keep the action in the ring, keep it clean. Butch is winding up a big swing, which he goes for, but Tito deftly ducks out of the way and Butch Butch does a big swing and a miss and does a 180, kind of making himself vulnerable. And when he does come back around, Tito's going to use those fists. Boom! Punches Butch Reed twice, three times. Then he grabs that wrist, gives it an arm and punches him again. (laughs) This is enough to fall the big man, Butch Reed. Now, I'm just going to say it, man. Butch will sell for Tito in a way he doesn't for Ricky, and I don't understand what was going on, why they didn't want Ricky to look powerful. Strong, yeah. Because Butch can sell. Butch is bigger and stronger than Tito, yeah. but he sells like a boss for Tito. It's, you know, well, I yeah. really like this, but here we go. He's already knocked down, like, you know, in... Tito's already done more damage than Ricky will do the whole match. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So much so that Butch rolls out of the ring and goes into Slick's long, comforting arms. <laughs> because uh, Tito, you don't mess with Tito Santana. 
Tito is waiting in the ring with his fists clenched, and not for the first time, we hear a very distinct chant of Tito, Tito. These people love him. Oh, they always love him. I don't know where we are. Where are we? But they're just crazy about him. Butch slowly gets in, covers his ears, doesn't want to hear all that love (laughs) for Tito. Pull the headband down or something over his ears. (laughs) (laughs) When Tito wants to close in for the collar and elbow, Butch backs up to the corner and then ducks under that top rope. Get him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go away, go away. Doesn't, yeah. He wants to kill all that enthusiasm. And then Butch starts bitching to the ref. Tell those fans to shut up. And he's like, he's like, calm down. You know, you're not you know, just like, quiet, quiet. You know, great stuff. But yeah. I love how he's admonishing the referee to yeah, tell yeah. the fans to keep it down. <laughs> I can't wrestle with these people making all this noise. <laughs> That's right. Another collar and elbow results in, once again, Butch Reed pushing Tito into the ropes. But this time... He knees Tito into the gut so that he can take advantage and have a little bit of heel town going on. The forearm smashes begin. A trio of clubs stagger our hero, <laughs> Tito Santana. The three of clubs. I was about to say that. Butch Reed Irish whips Tito Santana, who comes back and ducks a reverse standing elbow. But as he comes back, Butch Reed picks up Tito for a big body slam, but Tito uses that momentum to kind of up and over and behind uh-huh. him, and suddenly we're in a situation where, where do you go? Tito pushes him into the ropes and does a reverse roll-up cradle for a one and a two and a kick out, and then a beautiful standing drop kick right to the jaw. Oh, Jim Brunzel worthy. <laughs> Butch Reed hits the mat, staggers to his feet. Another gorgeous Tito Santana dropkick. Kapow! This time Butch Reed is eliminated from the Battle Royal, from the Royal Rumble. Goes over the top rope and onto the apron. Boom! Then down onto the floor. Crowd's chanting, Tito! Tito! This is like, what heat? There's no belt on the line. There's yeah, no yeah. build. This is like, where's yeah, no, all this? No feud. <laughs> where is it coming from? Slick is con- comforting once again. Butch Reed, poor fellow. <laughs> outweighs Tito by 30 pounds. Like right, Tito's, yeah. Tito's a big, strong man. Yeah, I But Butch Reed is a... Pounds, yeah. Yeah, but Butch Reed's a bodybuilder. That's right. You know, even though Tito Santana played like uh, yep. CFL and NFL or... Yeah, he, he played uh, he played a bit of NFL and uh, CFL. He played for the BC Lions. Right. Yeah. Butch slowly gets... He's got great ring psychology and timing and can read the crowd. Butch, I'm now such a big fan of Butch Reed yeah, because yeah. Ma- mainly this match has just like got my... Those wrestling imagination, you know, fantasy match you never knew happened and then like it's so good. Here it is. Like so I, I, I'm just having a great time with this match. I didn't realize how talented Butch... That beat down a Ricky Steamboat did very little for me. Yeah. But like, wow, is he letting... Tito, get the love. He's giving Tito all this, you know, shine. And right. this, it's just so awesome. So he very slowly gets back into the ring. And and finally, they uh, lock up for another collar and elbow. Butch Reed puts a side headlock onto Tito Santana. And Tito pushes him off for a shoulder block that uh, Craig DeGeorge calls, oh, a big elbow. He just doesn't yeah. know what the hell he's talking about. And uh, what often when Butch Reed whips a guy, he'll back into the ropes himself so that like that they're both moving. Moving, more yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't just stand Momentum. and wait. Yeah. it's So he's, he's staying active. Um, Butch Reed bounces off the ropes to come at Tito, but uh, Tito leapfrogs him. And then, so Butch Reed's had enough bouncing with the ropes. He just stops running, turns around 180. Tito punches him. <laughs> Once again, he hits the mat, sells these powerful well this over this powerful man sells the punches of the the strong man but not as strong as him so it's very generous and it's something that 
Anyway, I, I guess I made me a point, but now Butch Reed is begging. No, please, please, you know, like, no more, no more. Like, yeah, yeah. None of this love for Ricky, you know, like, get him away. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, Tito's fired up and he's clenching his fist. He's closing in on Butch Reed, who's pleading in the corner. And so the ref's like, leave him alone. He's in the corner. Shakes his fist at the rest. And the guy's eyes bulge out of his head. He's like, oh, you, I'll just, you know, he's like pointing at the dressing room. But like, uh, there's so much excitement. People are screaming and like that, you know, Butch doesn't want anything to do with Tito. So. So yeah, uh, yeah, he's yeah. just like, get him away from me. Now we have the foreign object shtick, which is like, you know, act two or something. And they, <laughs> um, Slick comes over and, I, you know, they, they do such a good job that I can't even spot it. I, it's almost like mime. I never seen the, I didn't see the thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like not like pretending to hand something to each yeah. other. Yeah. Sometimes it's really obvious. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes it's like we forgot the <laughs> the stick. Yeah, where is He's checking each pocket? <laughs> exactly. Whoops. So it looks like Slick hands something to Butch Reed, and then looks like Butch Reed does a kind of it's in my trunks now it's in my hand. So yeah. he puts it in his trunks and then he pretends to bring it out and he keeps his hands his hand closed. Yes. So Tito's like, hey, and he's pointing at it and he's showing pointing at the ref and pointing at the hand and Butch Reed puts his hand behind his back like, what are you talking about? I didn't got it. Yeah. You know, the ref's like, you know, wrestles his wrist out and then finally he's shaking Butch Reed's hand and he and he opens it and there's nothing in there. Right. So like the psych out the 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 trickery. <laughs> Now, DeGeorge and another blunder, he's like, it's, uh, it's in his shorts there. Jesse says, trunks, DeGeorge, they're called trunks. Just <laughs> rubbing the noob's nose and things. So the referee, you know, puts his attention on Slick. Like, what's going on here, yeah. you guys, you know, and that allows Butch Reed to go into the trunk. It's actually in his trunks, you know, but he faked them out with the hand. So it is in the trunks. And then the referee comes back and checks his trunks. Meanwhile, it's in his hand. <laughs> So all this shtick is playing out and the really good fun timing and, and lots of theatrics. Tito actually leaves the ring. He boycotts. He's like, he's like, I ah, forget it then. If you're not if you're gonna just let him have his foreign objects, I'm not gonna wrestle. So he gets on the he you know, goes through and he's standing on the apron and the referee starts counting them. One, two, so Tito's just like, ah god damn it, he gets back in the ring. Great shtick between the ref and Tito. We get a collar and elbow. Tito applies our wrist lock, which Butch sells. And uh, I guess the whole foreign object, it's, we, you know, park it for now. Okay. Wherever it is or was, you know, like he's got them all freaked out and psyched he's out. Like but- a- comic setting it up for later like the yeah, circle or something exactly yeah. but but the fans you know the fans are onto him yeah Tito's onto him it's just the ref <laughs> can't find it right well, you yeah, can't, yeah, you can't yeah. find it now, often there was some good shtick they used to do especially in southern wrestling where they would do this whole pre-match thing where there would be like a foreign object and the guy would be known for having the foreign object you know the, the good guy would be like hey, hey hey he's got that thing in his boot or his tights and then the ref would come over and find it and as the ref walked over to give it to the timekeeper table you know the heel would pull out another one and like let everyone see yeah. I still got one <laughs> that's <laughs> a good hide, bit hide it somewhere else I love it <laughs> nice so the collar and elbow results in Tito putting a wrist lock on the natural Butch Reed who sells and goes to his knees and then he's on his tummy from this oh, you know this posted twisted arm yeah Butch Reed goes right to his stomach and then Tito stands up and he actually stands on Butch Reed's hand. Wait, what? Yeah. Hand or head? Hand. Oh, hand. I yeah. He said stands on his head. I was like, whoa, that sounds rough. No, he's on his belly and he's yeah, got the yeah, arm yeah, twisted yeah, out, yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah. then he had, so Butch, uh, Tito reaches down, puts his foot on that extended arm, controls it, and then stands straight up. And Butch Reed is, you know, being extremely generous. Like, ah, I can't move because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. 
And then he stomps on the hand. <laughs> and Jesse's complaining. So Bruno goes, well, I uh, used the flat part of his boot there. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like still clearly. Anyway, three of those big stomps. And again, Butcher Reed is like grabbing his hand in pain and like, ah. You so, know. Sorry, because I didn't actually watch this match. So this has got, because of the commentary team you're mentioning, it sounds like this is the sort of superstar style presentation, like a brighter arena. Or does, I it guess. Look, or does it look like pro- it, it, some of those yeah. primetime matches well, where it looks like they're it doesn't in Boston look, or no, it like doesn't, a, dark, a darker arena? It doesn't know? have the hallmarks to me of a um, of a Spectrum show, of an MSG show, yeah. or a Toronto show. It looks more like they're making their TV show from their you know from their touring as opposed right. to like the TV tapings, okay. which is I guess what you mean. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because with the primetime, I wasn't ever used to these dark. Yep. And this is brighter. Yeah. When you put it that way, that should answer your question. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. So after uh, these stomps of his hand, which I kind of say were kind of unique and I hadn't really seen before, Butch Reed gets back up, but he's, you know, injured, uh, nursing his injured or, you know, tender hand, mm-hmm. another collar and elbow, and he pushes Butch into the corner. And now the referee, uh, you know, does another separation. Like he's got to, you know, get these two guys off of each other because they're in the corner. And he's got his back to Butch Reed. And guess what? <laughs> before an object comes comes out and he hits Tito in the head. And again, I can't see the actual foreign object. So Tito goes down. And then Bruno's saying, what punch, Jesse? You'd think that was clearly a foreign object. Well, what punch could do that? And he's like, well, one punch from me might do that or you, but not from Craig to George here. <laughs> and just silence for the noob, sick burn. Butch Reed follows up on this advantage by smashing Tito's head into the turnbuckle. And he kicks him in the gut. Punch him in the jaw. And then he gives him a hangman choke. Ah. Like we saw Butchery do to Ricky Steamboat. The referee breaks up that hangman choke, grabbing his wrists and helping bringing him down. Tito's on his back. He's been taking such a beating. He's really, his health bar's low, but he fights on. Now Butch Reed lays in. Even though Tito's down, he goes down to the mat level, chokes him to strangle with one hand. Referee counting him, breaks up that choke, goes back for it. Crowd's chanting, Tito. Tito. Again, you can hear this crowd just screaming for Tito Santana. Then Butchery changes up the offense. He stands and he's got Tito sitting and he starts doing those. You're standing behind the guy who's on his, who's on his butt and you start punching him on the head and shoulders and neck from, from behind. But, and that puts Tito back lying <laughs> back to the mat. Now Butchery starts taunting the crowd in the most like, you know, like real rapid, like rabbit punches from behind. Bap, 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 yeah, yeah, bap, yeah. bap. A series of those. Al Madrill style. Al Madrill, right. Was that that's old Cheech? Your old Cheech. Yeah. No, that was Young Cheech. Well, young Cheech. Young Cheech. Yeah, Young Cheech. <laughs> old Cheech was uh, Shawn Michaels' mentor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jose Lothario. Okay. Get your wrestling knowledge here at Legendary Wrestling Obsession. And write us a letter, please, at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. That is correct. Okay. Tell us your stories. Okay, so the uh, Al Madrill rapid punches while, T- while Tito's sitting on his butt and Butch Reed is standing above him from behind, you know, got left hands on the jaw, right hand, pop, 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 and then Butch Reed taunts the crowd while Tito is rolling around in a dazed, beaten up state. Beautiful fist drop, almost like a cross between Hawk and Ted DiBiase. Butch okay. Reed splits the difference, yeah, kind of yeah. falls, well, kind of jumps. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tito's rolling around from the uh, now they, uh, from all this offense. Now they start to talk about the gorilla slam that you mentioned. Yes, and uh, you know the, you were expecting to see Butch Reed's finisher. That's right. Butch Reed slams Tito's face to the mat since Tito's already down there. Then he picks him up and gives him a snapmare so that Tito's back down. And then he gives him a real big, 
you get a, what you hear is a real big oh from the crowd as as Butchery jumps up just the just the four inches to get his toes onto Tito's forehead and eyes and do a little twist yeah. and then come back down, just uh, blinding our hero as well as pummeling him into a, a puddle. So Tito manages to sit up. Butchery's behind him, sharpens that elbow and brings a pointy elbow from behind onto Tito's head. Pop! Ouch! Now Tito's lying down again. <laughs> <laughs> and so he gives another one of these real sharp elbows right to the throat. Drops, you know, uh, not an elbow drop to the chest, but like yeah, pointy elbow yeah. to the throat. Ouch. And he goes for the cover. Tito barely manages to kick out using that energy from the crowd to keep him going. And then a TV ad. So I don't quite know what happens next. But when we come back, Tito's on his knees trying to rally. And he's got a side headlock keeping him immobile. He uh, punches Butch Reed once to the gut. And a second time. And then he manages a couple of blows to Butch Reed's jaw, mm-hmm. who staggered. But Butch Reed's used the old um, Tully Blanchard, Ronnie Garvin move. He grabs the waistband of the trunks. He falls back while pulling towards him, launching his opponent uh, over top of him. Of and in this case, through the ropes and outside. Uh-huh. So lots of people did it, but we saw that recently in uh, over in uh, JCV. That's right. Tito hits the floor hard. Like, this is an injury, kind of like, doesn't land on his feet, that's for sure. <laughs> Butch Reed follows him and picks him up and slams Tito into the barricade. Mm. Yeah. Butch Reed goes back into the ring, starts posing and flexing. Man, this guy's got a great physique. It's not so chiseled, but it's like, there's no fat on him. And he's, yep. and he's just, he's kind of like, Davy Boy wasn't the most ripped at always, but he yeah. was really, you know, big. That's right. So, um, reminds me of Davy Boy a bit, you know, Butch Reed's physique. Tito struggles to return to the ring. He doesn't quite make it in. He's on, he's he's just basically got his hands on the apron. He's about to like put one foot up. And then Butch Reed reaches, Butch Reed reaches through the ropes and starts basically running in the ring while Tito's on the floor and drags yeah. him and slams him into the post. Oh, I haven't okay. really seen that before. So, so Tito's not on the apron, Tito's on the floor? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So he's, he's about he's to get, kinda, he, he's kind of bent over, I guess, Reed. Well, he's, he's uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a, a scuttle run, but he's only got to go like six feet to like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, send Launch injured him. Tito into the post because okay. the post is such an effective weapon, That's right? Of so course. great. To, I mean, it's, it's Tito's selling brilliantly. He's looking, he's so screwed up. Once again, Craig DeGeorge like, oh, Tito into the railing there. It's like, it's, and I'm like, you dummy, it's a post. <laughs> Slick is taunting our Tito, our injured Tito outside of the ring. And once again, the chant from the crowd, Tito, Tito, Tito. They're just screaming for him. They know what they want to see. That's right. Tito makes his way onto the apron now, and Butchery grabs him on the apron and goes for a suplex, a big standing vertical suplex that Tito manages to twist his body and get a cross body and a two count out of it. But he's still very injured, and he can't actually manage to stand up after his near pinfall. It would have been a surprise victory, but Tito almost steals the match. Now we have, uh, after Butch Reed kicks out, he's, gets, he's, he's angry. He stands up and delivers these sick boots to the head where he, you know, he jumps up and he stomps the mat with one foot, making this crazy sound while the other boot makes contact to the man's head. Like, wow. there's, you know, hard to fake those, but like, you got to do them safely. You know, Tito doesn't get knocked out, but boy, they, they look so vicious. Yeah. Five of these sick stomps. And you just think, that's it. Tito's got to be, you know, 10% health left. You know, <laughs> he's in big trouble. So Butchery ki- uh, covers him for a one and a two. And we do manage to get a kick out from our hero, Tito, again, the fifth time. Tough, tough guy. The, yep. Well, he's drawing off those Tito chants. That's right. 
because the fifth time you hear the crowd and like Tito's got his hand, you know, he's like getting, he's in, in time with the chant, he's shaking his fist. And uh, so Jesse's like, now why do wrestlers have to appeal to the fans <laughs> like that? Waste, you know, the George takes the bait, like, well, didn't you like to hear the fans? And like, you know, Jesse, of <laughs> course, is like, I didn't need you know, any fans, blah, 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 blah. But Bruno says, well, I got to tell you, you know, sometimes it really does. So you get a neat little conversation about, yeah, you know, yeah. the whole concept of being a heel in the face is kind of yeah. fun to hear Jesse, like, just ask, why does Tito want that anyway? But I mean... I, I I can't even think of a match where I heard a wrestler's name chanted so often, except for maybe Hulk and Rock. Yeah, you know yeah, that yeah, big surprise, that. epic, you know, kind of uh, yeah happening. Yeah, the WrestleMania match. Yeah. yeah, where the crowd wanted to cheer Hogan no matter what he did. They were, right. they were cheering Hogan, and it didn't matter. <laughs> he could murder puppies, and they were like, "Nope, we're nineteen eighties. We're here." <laughs> that's right. We know it's not real. We're gonna cheer Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course it is real. No, yeah, it was real. He'll tell you it's real for all the mushrooms and weed he's got to take now just to go to bed and deal with his pain. So that's the fifth Tito chant. Butch Reed applies a reverse chin lock and he's like wrenching it so that it like becomes a submission hold. Oh, geez. Yeah. Like so bad that we actually grab, he, um, the ref grabs his arm. Right. It's like, it's only a chin lock, but it was so deep into the match and he's just been so uh, beaten up that the arm goes down once flop. Oh no. Yeah, the arm goes down twice flop, and it's not a sleeper. It's just like this massive man behind you cutting off your yeah, oxygen, yeah, yeah. and Tito's been squishing you know, him. He's been through it. The third time the arm gets picked up, and the referee lets go of it, he it stays up. Tito's awake, <laughs> and Tito starts listening to that crowd and shaking his fist, and he gets to one knee, and he manages to get up on both feet. And in, and as you can, the um, sometimes when a guy's got you locked up with the uh, chin, you can manage to. Deliver a elbow from below, if you will. And so Butch Reed takes a couple of those from, you know, his, he's still got the headlock on, but Tito gets the strength and the space to, to uh, deliver a couple of elbows. But um, the referee's in the wrong place and Tito is grabbed by his hair and yanked back to the uh -huh. mat. Classic heel tactic. Now we get a wonderful little, I don't remember this ever before. And it's, I think it's at one hour and 22 minutes. The referee's like, How'd you bring him down? <laughs> he totally accuses Butch Reed. He's like, I pulled him down. See if you can find that. <laughs> Second elbow. And a great move by Butch Reed. Oh, that was impressive. How'd you bring him down? He took Santana back down to that mat and took away the rally. So he still got him, you know, in this, in this reverse chin lock. But now Butch Reed is laying on the mat. Like it's a ground mat, right? A ground game right now. This reverse chin lock is slowly cutting off the oxygen and sapping Tito's strength. He's down to 7% energy now. <laughs> and Tito's legs are flailing. So uh, Butch Reed, they're so close to the ropes that Butch Reed decides to get a little extra leverage. Leverage. He puts his feet on the second rope and manages to like even put more pressure on Santana's neck. And then Slick gets over there and grabs <laughs> Butch Reed's feet. And they're just doing everything. And so Tito's like looks like a landed fish in the <laughs> Boat, you know, flopping and flailing, and and to the point where a pin attempt is made, and Tito just barely kicks out of it. So this takes quite a long time. Yeah, they're, they're catching their breath. Like this, that's an epic match. So now Slick, you know, takes the focus while the guys catch their breath, and he's getting jeered by the audience as he's waving his arms around and his cane. Yeah. So there's two pin attempts in this whole spot while the both guys are basically uh, horizontal, and then Tito manages to sit up in the chin lock or the side headlock, and he gets to one knee. And then he stands up and wow, 
there is the ref is sweating as much as these wrestlers. <laughs> I was waiting for you to talk about that. Yeah. yeah, he is dripping with sweat. Now Tito manages to get his hands on Butch's wrists, and he slowly, you know, lifts. He's not the strongest man, but he does have the energy from the fans to get that chin lock off. Finally, that suffocating chin lock rest hold, but actual near submission pinfall, and he raises it, and then he finally gives an elbow into Butch Reed's midsection, and another one into Butch Reed's midsection. Then Tito backs up and bounces off the ropes. And they do a bit of a botch. They kind of like, they just, they collide. Yeah. And uh, you would think that they're both going to drop for the standing 10 count. Right. But Tito sees that Butch drops. So it's not really a, Tito keeps going. Because, you know, like... Like he uh, tries to sell it like he delivered some type of offense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah when it looks more like a, a smack, you know, they... So this match is maybe one of the few air, uh, flaws of it. Right. Butch Reed goes down, gets back up. Tito bounces off the ropes, and Butch gives Tito a knee to the gut for his troubles. Tito goes down, and we get the closest three count that I think I can see. As a matter of fact, the crowd goes, oh, because... <laughs> I mean, it's one of those where you hear the thump of the guy's arm, but not the slap of his palm. Oh, I see. Because the forearm he, hits, but not the hand. Yeah. So, and then Jesse's like, now why did he stop counting? And they're like, well, because <laughs> Tito kicked out. That's why it happened. <laughs> and this is where uh, our poor referee is in the no-name club, because you were like, that referee, instead of a Joey Morella or yeah, a whatever, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. that referee, why did that referee? But I want to know who he is. Anyway. Indeed, Tito does manage to to keep the match going. So Butch Reed picks him up and puts Tito's head between his knees, wraps his arms under Tito's waist, picks him up, and delivers a pile driver. This late in the match? Pile drives him. He does. Covers him. One, two. Tito kicks out. (laughs) What? He is still there. 3% health is enough for Tito to keep fighting on. So Butch Reed stands up, grabs him again, sets him up for a pile driver. But no! Tito has the strength to push Butch Reed into the turnbuckle who takes a back bump. He's still got those CFL <laughs> linebacker driving legs. That's right. So Butch Reed takes a bump to the back. Tito will not be pile-drived again. <laughs> but Tito is so beat up after he pushes Butch and, 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 and Butch takes the back bump. Tito staggers back, leans over the top rope, down to one knee. He's so beat up. Meanwhile, Butch is climbing up to Brett's rope. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Tito can barely stand. He clasps his hand high above his head. He's going to come down for a double axe handle a la Randy Savage, except from the second rope, not the top. That's right. And as he's cr- cruising down, Tito comes off that one knee and delivers a big fist into the gut. Uh-huh. A counter punch. The fans are standing. Butch takes the punch and then does like a somersault flip, and he's in the far corner now. <laughs> and he's rolling around. And now Tito delivers these retaliation. These boots, they look like to the face, but at the last second they hit the temple. Right. But I mean, it looks like he's stomping his face. Tito oh, is standing and he, five of these, bah, it's just like crazy that the referee doesn't tackle. They look so vicious. I'm surprised the referee doesn't grab him and, you know, go for the referee cradles Tito for a three count. But watching them again, yeah, you can see that they're safe. And there's no no busted nose, no split lips. But yeah. it looks like he's kicking him in the face. It's crazy. So wow. vicious. Now Tito does a mount, except for he keeps one leg posted. You know, the courtesy of not the bull, full balls and mouth. You know, so he's like above and he's got his clenched fist, you know. And Tito, and, and the referee doesn't like it, but he's just five shots to the face and forehead. And he, like he's got his left hand, he picks Butch Reed up, right? So the fifth yeah. one, the fifth one like just flattens him and he throws his arms <laughs> down flat. And it's just like the crowd is going insane. Butch Reed is a selling genius. 
We got such a great pop from it. Tito picks up Butch Reed again and delivers another big wind-up and haymaker. Again, Butch Reed just flattens his arm out, hits the mat. Blah. Tito covers him for a one and a two, and Butch Reed kicks out. Now Tito delivers a couple of face slam, and Butch Reed sells these like lawn darts. He doesn't just go down timber. <laughs> yeah, no, his feet, the first lawn, one yeah, leg up. Yeah, yeah, Second yeah. face slam, two legs yeah, up. Yeah. That's right. It's, uh, he lawn darts. Man, they are the, the best. He's selling for Tito just like it's a world title belt match. Right. It's amazing. Tito Santana, Irish whips Butch Reed and gives him a standing forearm. It looks like the finisher, except for he's just waiting for him. Yeah. Instead of the flying, he's just down there. But it actually, his fist is clenched. Yes. So, you know, I think this actually does turn into a punch. And yeah, the running uh, punch, he does that, yeah. as, you know. But in this one, he, yeah, he, he Butch comes to him, lays out Butch with that big punch. Crowd is excited. Butch is on the mat. Tito's standing. He raises his fist, does a little twirl, grabs Butch Reed's leg, brings it up. Figure four leg lock. Ooh. And the crowd goes insane. It's Tito's finisher. They are just going crazy. But it only lasts 10 seconds. Yeah? Yeah. You, you know, we, we're used to like two-minute figure four leg That's locks, right. yeah, you know, exactly, yeah. something like that. But no, Butch Reed, after like seven seconds, like you get some excitement. Yeah. Then, you know, three seconds later, after that tension, it... it Butch Reed is able to grab the middle rope, and of course, the referee has to break the figure four leg lock. Yeah. It seemed pretty easy to escape, I hate to say it. He should have, because Tita was in the middle of the ring, which means Butch was too close to the edge. Yeah. There's some kind of botch that happens involving Slick, but I can't remember what it is because it's a 20-minute match, and I didn't go into the details. Right. But Butch Reed is hanging onto that rope, and Tito wants to put the figure four on again, but Butch won't let go of the rope. So the referee's like telling Tito, no, no, you can't do that. But Tito's very persistent. So uh, the ref actually pushes Tito away from Butch Reed. Very brave yeah. referee we got here. This guy also looks like Harvey Picard, the guy who wrote American Splendor, and he would go on to David Letterman, and he would give David Letterman shit david letterman didn't like him very much <laughs> and he says so yeah you have a job uh and you uh he goes that's right you know because uh you know i don't know if you know this dave but the arts doesn't pay a million bucks for everybody some of us need to work for a living dave oh wow yeah and like he would just like needle him and he's like ah you gotta well you make your comic books here and he's like yeah but i also i need a job dave <laughs> anyway so he's this cranky guy if you want to check him out on the internet yeah yeah and so uh, our referee who will be named you're gonna find out who this guy is <laughs> <laughs> is telling the CFL linebacker or whatever he played, you know, like, that's enough. You cannot put the figure four. The man's holding the ropes. You may not put your figure four on him. Right. But uh, Tito's fired up. He does, he's doing it. He wants to do it. So the third time he tries to come back in, and uh, because he's in in such a physical position to do it, Butchery just gives a boot to the face because he's kind of on his back and he's holding on to the rope. So yeah. Tito eats a boot to the face. And then Butchery from the, you know, the lower, from underneath an uppercut, which sends Tito reeling back. As a matter of fact, they're so devastating that Tito hits the mat. Now Butchery takes advantage. He does the, the, the mount and it looks like a strangle, but no, he is, uh, he starts delivering left, right, left. Right, and then you hear the timekeeper's bell. Ding, 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 oh. ding, ding, ding. While, you know, it looks like Butch Reed is finishing the match, you know, wow. with like paint brushing him, like full mount with one leg stretched out, courtesy. Because the bell is rung, yeah. this brave ref grabs Butch Reed. No yeah. more punching. I'm like, who is this ref? But Craig DeGeorge, for all his blunders, he's going to tell me who this ref is. His, oh. his name is Al Switcher. Al Switcher. Hmm. Yeah. Which, of course, is double trouble, is what he says. <laughs> you know, so at 1 minute 27, 55 seconds, you find out. 
who this referee is. <laughs> but there's still more fun. Al is trying to get Butch Reed off of Tito. And Tito pushes Al back. Just keeps punching Tito out. Al comes back, grabs Tito Santana, or grabs Butch Reed. This time, Butch shoves him into the corner. So he gets a turnbuckle bump to the back. And then he comes back and grabs Al's hair. Our brave referee is not afraid to mix it up. Now Al knows to back off because he's messing with a big 170-pound man. <laughs> Butch Reed picks up Tito Santana, whips him to the ropes, bounces off. The match is over, and Tito pulls his big flying forearm finisher and ah, clobbers Butch Reed. Nice. The crowd pops like he's just won the belt. That's right. And the match is over, so there's nothing at stake. He doesn't bother covering him. That's right. But Butch Reed rolls out of the ring, and he's onto the floor. And we're wondering what happened is Tito can barely stand because he's taking such a beating. Finally, Howard Finkel gets the microphone and announces, announces that the match has ended in a draw. So everybody's booing, and they hate that, you know, finish. <laughs> but the bad guys are out of the ring. Tito's in the ring. Uh, somebody calls Slick an asshole. This is one of the best Tito matches that I can uh, ever remember seeing. Wow, what a hidden gem. Check it out. 20 minutes. Unfortunately, no... Well, you know, they both save face. No damage done to either reputation. Right, yeah. The the purpose of those draws are often to do that, to kind of let people... Let people get out of a match without uh, having to take a loss. All right. So the day after this syndicated TV show aired is an infamous day. We've already mentioned it, so we'll keep it brief. But May 26, a certain Jim Duggan and Mr. Iron Sheik are arrested for their little uh, little joyride from town to town. Get caught with a few things, possession and some alcohol. And Right. Uh, but I think the real sin was the baby face and the heel hanging out that's together. That's right. Yeah. That, was, that caught them in more trouble probably than the... Illegal materials. Okay, as we move along, it's got to take a pause here because May 29th, there's a house show in Winnipeg. Oh. So if we'd been smart enough to go to the arena that, that night, this is what we could have seen. Brad Rengens versus Rick Renslow. We've heard of him as a jobber before, so Rengens probably got the win there. Ron Bass versus Outback Jack. Ah. Okay. Beefcake and the Rougeaus versus the new Dream Team and Johnny V. Okay. So that's kind of fun. Bulldogs versus Heart Foundation title match. Oh, wow. Steamboat versus Savage Steel Cage title match. Oh, fuck. Fuck me. <laughs> what? should have went. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, this is 1987. 1987, May 29. Oh, oh boy. man. Blew it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I made my first, uh, I think 88 or, it might be 89. Probably 88 was probably my first live WWF show at the Winnipeg Arena. So this was just a little bit before my my time as far as going to the arena. Jeff was going yeah. when he was younger, but uh, more oh, AWA. How did this, I guess I was, Jesus, what, 87? I think I was discovering sex around this. <laughs> <laughs> my, my only excuse, the only right. good reason. I'll reason stick to it. That's right. Okay, so May 30th, it's a house show. We're in St. Paul. That's the Minnesota area. And there's a Bulldogs versus Heart Foundation match. And the thing to note is after the match is over, the Midnight Rockers come out to challenge the Heart Foundation. Right. I didn't even know they had like a brief fail oh, run. They had a very brief run, yes. I had, I, uh, you know, I don't really know this. I guess. A but, cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. 
So May 31st, as we move along through some of these notes, they've got uh, Junkyard Dog has to sub for Duggan. It's a uh, show in Glens Falls, New York. They pre-promoted it as Duggan being in the main event because that's his hometown. And uh, <laughs> of course, he's not available. So they've got to stick Dog in there to, to have that match. Well, but Duggan, he'll be back, but yeah, Jiggy exactly, won't. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Duggan, Duggan does avoid... Permanent barring, and I mean, I guess Sheik didn't get permanently barred, but he definitely got barred long enough. Okay, that takes us to June 1st, primetime, and there's a pretty important and neat, there's this like babyface versus babyface tag team match happening on primetime. Yeah, it is the Can-Am Connection, which uh, we talked about a little bit on our last episode, and the Islanders featuring the truest baddest ass That's right. uh, in the uh, bar fight situation, Haku, or Meng, if you like. Nah, Haku. Yeah. And I prefer King Tonga. <laughs> King Tonga. Yep. Bobby Heenan was hinting at a new tag team in the banter that uh, would be debuting. And it had the commentators speculating and puzzling, and the heels were kind of smirking and chuckling, <laughs> like they knew something yeah. nobody else knew. So the uh, the match gets going, and uh, before you know, we really get into the action too much. They uh, talk about a promo, and they cut to the Islanders. It's just a pretty obnoxious video. Yeah, they of, don't have a lot to say. They don't say anything. They're just laughing. And they then had a connection, <laughs> and then they just laugh about them. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's dumb. Uh, but it's also tipping the hat, like what's yeah. going to happen. You know, you it's pretty clear there's going to be a turn. So Bobby Heenan does show up. But I will say this, the uh, the match starts exactly how you how you want it. It's, you know, let's put let's put the heavy hitters out there. Rick Martel versus King Tonga right, yeah. or Haku. After and they had their run-ins them, in the AWA. Yeah. So we don't got to wait. We get the real talent on That's both right. teams. And uh, we get this awesome exchange of scientific moves and holds. There's a couple of, uh, you know, slams, like kind of monkey flip slams. Yeah. And uh, I think there does, uh, a body slam does eventually happen, but it's a very clean match. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, we're getting all of Rick Martel's skill and, uh, and, and Tonga. So, uh, and they really, they do the first three minutes. So it's great watching. That's right. Yeah. I'll watch Rick Martel versus Haku any day. For sure. And uh, eventually the other guys get in there, Zank and Tama, who are definitely- Tonga Kid, Tom, and sometimes the announcers call him Toma in this area. I'm not even sure what his name's supposed to be, like, when they switch it to that, because they've heard it said so many different ways, like, both ways. But he's, you know, he's a great performer himself. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with them. And, uh, yeah. Just, the booking never got my imagination going with him. Yeah. I was already just such a fan of King Tonga and Haku, so that when they became the babyface tag team instead, I was like, I was with him. You know, like. Yeah. Well, he, he did seem like the you know, the Robin of the Batman, you okay, know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. where, okay, Robin can beat up, you know, Superman, but don't tell me Robin can beat up Superman. Yeah, <laughs> and Batman's got to use the kryptonite, That's you right. know, boxing gloves too to do that. <laughs> so, you know, um, anyway. So at one point, Heenan is kind of taunting the Can-Am connection. Yeah, he shows up like almost in their corner, you know? Yeah. Like he's on their side and he's, he's it's like- Cut the neck brace. He makes it like he wants to talk to them, it yeah. seems, right? And so at one point, when he's got both Can-Am Connection members looking at Heenan and the Islanders, they do a, a bull rush. That's right. A heel hit from behind. And now they start using closed fists to yeah. attack Martel and Zink. And then the, as, far the, as far as the action goes, they use, you know, less than honorable tactics to uh, 
get Tom Zink outside. Well, that as Craig DeGeorge calls it, the pole, the post right. becomes very important. Yeah. Well, they do a real nice big double headbutt like yes, in yeah, the ring. Yeah, that's right. That yeah. looks really good. Like a finish. That looks like a finisher. Yeah. Like I think the. F- I thought the, they might pin him. That's right. Yeah. Like they come in into the corner and they they attack from behind on both guys, but right away it's either Zink or Martel gets thrown from the apron into that post. So now he's on the outside beating up the other guys on the inside. And as Jeff says, the double team. And it's great because he's prone on the mat. And then they, they time it coming out of each corner. He's like great. running, diving I headbutts. Would, that, that should be their finisher if it wasn't, you know, yeah. it looked good enough. Anyway, but then that Zenk gets thrown outside. And then I think Tom is either slamming him outside yeah, he or, slams or him, dropping. He slams him. And then I think he throws him into apron. the post again too. Yeah. So it looks pretty good actually. Yeah. They work over Zink really well outside. Yeah. And it's enough to, um, now what's the finish? Zink can't get back in the ring? Yeah, it's a count out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they just hurt him so badly outside the That's ring, right. he can't get back in. That's right. And then, uh, you know, good news for the Islanders because they were, the, the crowd was cheering the Can-Am connection anyway. That's right. So you may as well turn heel if you Yeah, I mean, timing-wise, I can't, who knows, this was probably already in the works before it happened, but in a way, we are losing a heel tag team in Sheik and Volkov. So it's almost like there's too many babyface tag teams, so hey, let's slide this one over here, the Islanders, and and by putting them with Bobby Heenan... They're now, you know, now they're elevated and it's a great relationship because like here we are in 87. Well, Haku and, and Heenan are still together in 1990. So it's like, that's a long run together. Yeah. I mean, and you know, he's going to go from Tonga Kid to Andre the Giant. That's kind of a, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he went from Batman and Robin to yeah. Batman and fucking Darkseid. <laughs> yeah. And the interesting thing with, with Tonga Kid, Tama, Tomo, whatever he does have a sort of more natural sort of heel face he's got like he can he can put on those facial expressions where you you want to see him get punched in the face <laughs> right so that's an important happening i even came across uh some an interview actually uh in an episode coming up afterwards where you have can connection are getting questioned about this whole thing and rick martell and his accent talking about how they're gonna you know now that they know you know they only got they only got the best of us because we didn't know you know we expected a fair match but now that we know their tactics, you know, we're going to get them kind of thing. So, yeah, right. it set up a pretty neat little feud. The Islanders, victorious over Martel Zink. My goodness, what a turn of events here for Bobby the Brain Heenan and the Islanders. They're disgusting. Why can't you ever do anything up front, straight, like a legitimate person? Why do you always have to do things behind people's back? Then you wonder why I get on your case all the time. I don't have to worry about you getting on my case anymore. So the main event of this prime time is a match that's just it's burned into the memories of my wrestling childhood because as everyone hopefully by now knows, we had limited TV access. We had superstars. That's basically all we had for the WWF for many years. Had my Coliseum tapes and stuff like that and had Saturday's main event. So in terms of seeing Hulk Hogan wrestle on TV at this point, aside from what I'd seen him do in the AWA, I essentially had only seen the Saturday Night Event stuff, the stuff I could rent. But if you talk about on TV, the only times I could remember him seeing him wrestle were him and Orndorff versus the Moondogs, him and Orndorff versus Stud and Bundy with the clothesline hurt around the world, and this match. And the one thing about this match is, I'll have to say, timeline-wise, I would have actually thought this would have been an 86 match. I was surprised that it was this late, that it was 87. It's Hulk Hogan versus Cowboy Bob Orton. Well, this 
is full circle because exactly. that's the main event of the that's, original. Yeah, this is Hogan versus Saturday Orton. Night's main event. Hogan versus Orton. You know, it's it's a really good match. Not going to do the blow for blow, but it's just even when we look back at some of the stuff we looked at, like uh, you know the Rusty Brooks match where Savage came out and sent Elizabeth in the ring to you know dress down Hogan with her <laughs> her short lived heel <laughs> kind of persona that she had going on in that. We never saw that. I don't remember seeing that at all. So this was a very limited thing. This match was so special as a kid seeing. Hogan defending against Orton on syndicated TV was just, ah, blew my mind. Memories of the AWA less is more, teasing Hogan with his back to the camera. Yeah, yeah. So this is a really good match. Orton does really well. Hogan lets Orton have so much offense. And, the, you know, it's not to skip to the end, but like, Orton cuts off the Hulk up. Like, Hogan's doing a full-blown Hulk up, and Orton just kicks him in the gut, and Hogan sells for him, and goes in, Orton goes back on the offense. What? Yeah. And I mean, he's like, you know, he can pick Hogan up and, you know, in a slant body slam position and drive him down on his knee for a backbreaker. I mean, he can do, he can do all his moves on him. It's, it's really good. So the big key thing that I do remember about this match more than anything is that there's a whip to the corner. Orton takes this big bump and there's this noise and the top rope, the whole thing falls off. So like, like it goes slack. Yeah. Like it, it comes off of its, uh, you know, it's hanging, but yeah. it's, it's no longer has any tension Yeah, and it really affects the rest of the match. It's really funny because there's all these spots where they're supposed to bounce off the ropes and yeah. they kind of, you watch them run and then and stop they, and then turn around and then run the other way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very yeah, silly. They do a kind of a, like a, a duck squat, yeah. you know, once they get their like little, you know, stick their bum through yeah, the ropes yeah, yeah. and then they come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. It does. <laughs> <laughs> for one second you're like the absurdity of it all yeah. you know and Orton gets in all this great offense and there's a couple times he goes it's funny he goes out to go to the top rope because that's obviously probably what he was meaning to do but he he realizes he can't so then he from the outside he's on the second rope and then he steps over the top rope to the inside the second rope and then balancing holding on jumps off anyways so they the, the great thing though is Jesse points out how this isn't fair because it's taken away the superplex yeah <laughs> it's like how's Orton supposed to win the match if he doesn't have a superplex and I've said this before and I'll say it again like here we are we started May of 1985 now we're the summer of 87 I still haven't seen a Bob Orton superplex because unless we go watch a syndicated squash match like he never did it against the top guys ever like right well I believe next week there is a syndicated squash match where Bob Orton is going to put a superplex on the sucker and pin him one, two, three. But he's a guy that I've never heard of. I, I watched a primetime match. I stopped and watched it. He was wrestling some jobber on primetime and he pinned him off of like some random move. He didn't even oh. use a superplex. Oh, and Monsoon says, I guess he felt sorry for the guy. <laughs> so he didn't use a superplex. From Hogan like, to jobber, you yes, know, like yes. what? So it's it's neat when Hogan finally does uh, finish everything off, has his comeback. When he goes to do the leg drop, Hogan realizes that the the corners are where the tension is. So he like bounces off. He does. He bounces off the turnbuckle. You know, yeah, like in a way, sort of, <laughs> sort oh, right, of, right, yeah, yeah, to get yeah. his leg drop in and get the three count. But again, it you know just bringing this match up because a it was one of I'm thinking I've you'd certainly have more fingers than than Hogan had matches on syndicated TV in the WWF. I know he wrestled like in his, Winnipeg, yeah, especially. Well, actually, I, I guess <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you were if you were uh, watching in 84, there would have been some syndicated matches when he first showed up. Like his very first appearance is on like a TV taping in St. Louis or something like that. Sort of the wrestling from the chase setup. And he wrestles a jobber there. I can't even remember who it is. It doesn't matter. And I'm sure there's a few other ones. But I mean, our interaction with Hogan in this era, 85, 86, 87 is interviews, is appearances. It's not matches. So this is, this was just really special. And I always remembered this match. You know, you can only recall certain things from, you know, 30, 40 years ago, but this would be one, you know, I wouldn't have been able to tell you the, the details, but I knew, 
I knew he wrestled Bob Orton on TV, and I knew that rope broke. Broke, mm-hmm. you know, that specific aspect of that match. I would never, I could never forget that. That was just so burned into my brain of like, and that idea that if I keep watching week after week after week, eventually one of these types of matches is going to be on there. Well, it's funny what stays with you. The last memory you have, you know, <laughs> when you're an old man surrounded by grandkids, yeah, yeah, you'd be like broken top rope. that's right okay let's move into june 3rd we get the midnight rockers making their in-ring debut versus jose estrada and jimmy jack funk and then a nice little note about how the midnight rockers are fired for partying (laughs) at the bar the day after their first match they get fired that night wow yeah well tell me what, what's that? Is there? Is that all? Is that, is that well, the story? I've, I've heard. Uh, <laughs> I've heard Shawn Michaels tell the story that basically. So f- first off, they get there. They're all sort of uncomfortable because they're these AWA guys, and they're not sure how people are going to. So they're just trying to like low profile, and so they show up and they just kind of go to the corner and keep to themselves. Well, they didn't go introduce themselves to Andre, and they didn't shake his hand. Whoa. So Andre does not like them. Oh shit! And they don't realize that they've broken this code. You know, like. And so that's a, that's a problem. So they have their first match. They go to the bar. If I remember correctly, it's Jimmy Jack Funk who gets them kind of going and he gets like, they're drinking. And then next thing you know, I think they're breaking uh, like beer bottles or, or maybe whiskey glasses over their own heads. You know, it was all this big challenge. Oh yeah, I can do this. You know, that kind of stuff. And it gets out of hand and there's a big, da- there's a bunch of damage to the bar. I think they damaged some tables and a bunch of the glassware and whatnot. And that's all it took. So when they show up to work the next day, Fired. Wow. <laughs> Back one, to the AWA. One night. <laughs> one night. That's amazing. One and done. And they get a whole other tag title run in the AWA because- That's hilarious. <laughs> and I think I remember Shawn Michaels kind of being like, his in his mind, when they went to New York, they're like, let's blow this popsicle stand. <laughs> we don't have to wow. wrestle these little places anymore. And then the tail between their legs, you know, That's like a week hilarious. or two later, back they go. <laughs> oh my goodness. I did not hear that. And it's interesting. I, I for the AWA, it was a great thing to get them back for another year or whatever it was. But uh, and they were a lot more careful the next time they came to the WWF to try and keep their jobs. But it was interesting too that they were allowed to keep the name Midnight Rockers because McMahon loved to change names and stuff like that. So they were like, well, you mean, well, they dropped the okay. So when they first wrestled with, oh, I see, they were the Midnight Rockers in the AWA and the WWF for the one day. <laughs> back to the AWA Midnight Rockers, and then when they came back uh, in '88, goodbye midnight, goodbye midnight. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and with Tito, we got to switch back to Tito for a second. I forgot to bring this up. So Terry Funk is very, very much involved in Tito continuing on his path to become a wrestler. So Tito had, had you know, played professional football. Kate was in an off season of, from the BC Lions, started training in Florida. He was doing, he was refing matches and training to be a wrestler. Did he ever have a different name or he went by Tito Santana as a football player? Uh, oh, no. If you look up his college name and stuff, he's uh, Mercedes, whatever his name is. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, I, definitely has a different Mercedes. name. Mercedes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mercedes or however okay. you say now, it. Yeah. Would that be his first name? Well, we'd have to look it up. I'm forgetting. I <laughs> Sorry, Tito. I should know this. Um, but so he's just, he's loving it, but he's not making any money. He's, I don't know what they get paid, like 15 bucks a, a night or something as a ref or something like that. Like just, you know, he's, it's costing him money to drive to these towns. Okay. He's, he's renting an apartment. Off season CFL. Yeah. Yeah. He's off. Yeah. You, only get, you only get paid during the season. And yeah. back then, like the CFL players would make like 
geez, like in the eighties, they were making like 30 grand if they weren't one of the top guys. So he was probably making like 20 some grand or something in the seventies. Like you don't know what it's like to be a CFL. (laughs) These guys, you know, risking all that injury for for pennies. The fifth stringer in the NFL makes like more money than the highest paid guy in the CFL. Oh gosh. Yeah. And so, yeah, so he was enjoying wrestling, wanted to be part of wrestling. He, He wasn't a fan of wrestling, but he knew he was part of that the West Texas crew, whatever it was, all these guys, kind of like with the Minnesota area with all the road warriors and Kurt Henning and Rick Rude and all those guys. Well, same thing over here, like the Funks and, and like Tito and I believe like Dick Martin, whoever it was, their ages are all off. So like Funk's about eight years older than, than Tito, but I've heard him talk about how he would stay around the program. Like when he was in town, he would come to practice. If he was in town, he'd go to the football practice to talk to the coach and see what the new team was like. And so that's how he got to know Tito. Uh, I didn't follow it up, but something about Tully Blanchard got Tito into wrestling. Tito, yeah, that's that would be one of his earliest um, stops. But he's, his very beginning was in Florida, and then so Terry Funk sees him in the back, and Terry loved you know talking to everybody, and 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 the camaraderie of of wrestling was a big deal to him. And so he sees Tito and he's like, hey, kid, how, you know, how are you enjoying it? And Tito's just frank with him and says, well, I love it, but I don't think I can afford to do this. And, you know, I think I'm going to start training for, because he, he technically had a contract to go back to the CFL to play for the Lions in the upcoming season. And Terry Funk was like, oh, hold on, kid. And so he went and talked to Eddie Graham. And then Eddie Graham got Tito booked, like, regularly after that. And pretty soon they moved him from Florida, maybe to maybe to Tully's dad's he, federation. And he said that cup of coffee with the Von Ericks. Yeah, it makes sense, yeah. And uh, another name, but I couldn't rem- I, I know that uh, that told me, it was like, oh, he went to t- yeah, Texas for yeah, a minute. Yeah, he moved around. And, and of course, this led eventually to him having this really long, great career and, and main evented so many shows for many years. And of course, the people online will, oh, jobber, you know, they'll, they'll throw those terms around about him. But they look at the entirety of his career, all his accomplishments, and he had a great career and he was an awesome performer. And man, the way Greg... The Hammer Valentine talks about Tito, like, he says, like, dream opponent. Right, yeah. So smooth. Yeah. Never hurt uh, anybody, and just, uh, he was, like, one of his favorites. Also, if you're a bad guy, you want the guy you're attacking to be loved by the fans, because it, you know, it makes you look better, like, it brings more heat on you, and, you know, and in that era... You're 83, 84, 85, pretty much outside of Hogan, like, nobody in the OEF was getting more cheers than Tito. Mm, yeah. The Hammer couldn't say enough good things about Tito. Nice. Okay, let's move on. Hawk trip back to the corner. And reversal. Look at that. Ooh, and I think, I think the top rope scram might have snapped there. You're right. Look at Mr. Fuji. Looks like Gordon's getting a little frustrated. That he is. He's got to use some type of move. And you know what? With this top rope scram the way it is, he probably cannot use the superplex now. That's got to throw him off. That's got to throw Bob Orton off. Because One, that, two, no. That takes a huge thing out of his arsenal if he cannot use the superplex. It's a June episode of Primetime, which is re-airing a Superstars of Wrestling episode, which is, of course, something that was taped earlier in June. So we're talking early June, but for our purposes of what we're watching it on TV as a kid today, it's June 22nd. A day, or in this case, many days that shall live in infamy. <laughs> Yeah, this was a disappointing Saturday morning, I can tell uh, you that, because it kicks off the show. Like, they open it up with, the sh- you know, it was like the first thing on the show. I mean, yeah. is this title defense of Ricky Steamboat ending, as we've tried to illustrate, a pretty unfortunate, sad run. <laughs> yep. It's just all, all start, no finish. <laughs> 
So the greatest match in wrestling, for all intents and purposes, for our purposes, Randy Savage putting over Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania 3. I'll probably repeated some details in there, but anyway, leads to this whimper title run that is so disappointing because we covered uh, earlier in the show that we could only find scraps you know, non title matchup against Butch Reed. And definitely he doesn't shine. I mean, our memories of Ricky Steamboat are getting lynched practically by Morocco. And then is the, the, uh, Jake Roberts crushing his skull on the concrete and Randy Savage attacking his larynx. Like nobody's taking a hurt like our Ricky Steamboat, yep. 85 to 87. So now it's his time to enjoy the fruits of his <laughs> injuries and losses. And he's the champ now. That's right. And I got to say that on the plus side, at last, Ricky is the kick-ass champion like i don't even think i've ever seen a match besides from maybe i i would have to really focus where ricky does 85 percent kicking ass <laughs> that's right yeah. or 75 percent. but he yeah. looks so good in this match so let's let's take the edge off ricky right. is fabulous in this match he dishes out punishment to the honky-tonk man that you always wanted to see him dish out if he wasn't so busy you know having his career ended by various villains so honky sells for him beautifully the way you can see people's arms go up you know yeah. when ricky does these spots and i mean like, he's got a lot of great spots and we're not going to go blow for blow but it was tempting to do that because you get to see ricky shine he's pulling off so much great offense and and they don't really i mean this match has everything you yeah. know one of the things I like is it's a repeating storyline because you're it's Jimmy Hart. You're expecting chicanery. You're expecting yeah. evil deeds. Yep. And basically, they set up multiple times throughout the match. Jimmy tries to interject himself. They try to set up the manager distraction. This is going to cost Ricky the match. And Ricky, like deflects them all he's yeah. like he's bulletproof yeah <laughs> jimmy great. jimmy tries to hit him with the megaphone when ricky's doing skin the cat and he's like aha and he catches him with yeah. legs and bops him on the head with his calf in the know? first minute yeah and it's just that it's was just great spot awesome. yeah you got that right and so i mean it's got everything it's got a thwarted heel finisher yeah you know it's got ricky with his finisher but the ref's not looking uh, yeah distracting. you know yeah but it's his it's his light finisher you know That's like right. not the full body press it's but the chop, uh, it's the chop instead yeah but it's enough to finish some people. And in That's this right. case, if Honky's not hearing that thumping one and two, you know, so, I mean, it's got that, whatever <laughs> you call that, but he covers them for enough time to defeat exactly. him. Exactly. And that leads to the second really funny manager, you know, backstabbing play where like Honky yeah. tries to, you know, hit him from behind and it's, it doesn't work out. And Ricky's able to like slide under, drop kick. And then Jimmy Hart takes the bump off of, off of Honky getting drop kicked. Yeah. So... It's a great fun match. I mean, we're just loving yeah. it. And the crowd's just loving it until Vince McMahon breaks our heart and he breaks the heart of the whole idea that a wrestler could have a life and a family is on display here that you really unfortunately are forced to make sacrifices that you shouldn't have to ricky steamboat wanted some time off for his baby and it led to this really disappointing booking and uh, if only all wrestlers had been given more time to develop their relationships and to to heal from their injuries we wouldn't have so many of our heroes dead and gone before their time and uh living less than their best lives yeah so it's really one of those like this shows that ah, the rotten side of it all, 
You know how like right. this wonderful glory year or two of Savage maybe chasing Ricky for the belt and Steamboat yeah. keeping it is all cut off because, you know, he did what was right for him. The good news is that this is not the end of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Right, of course, He yes. will survive this undercut, pulling the rug out from him by McMahon because yeah. you know, he dared to want to spend time with his baby. And there will be good things that come from it. But this match, you know, the frustration of the fans. Right. In some ways, it represents the greed of yeah. like the industry and the shortcomings of like burning out your talent. Right. I couldn't remember any of the good stuff of the match. Me neither. Because I was, was so dramatic. disappointed, and I was so disappointed dramatic. in the result. Yeah, with great match. Of course, he's going to kick his ass. How could he not win? You know, and then he doesn't, yep. and you're like, ah, so confident, well. lulled into a false sense of security. And and again, like people, it's not like Crash TV '90s, you know, and forward, where often the belts were popping around and flying around on different broadcasts. No problem. This was like strange, you know, for like a title change to happen that jarring, quickly. like go back. It's like Savage had a long run. Tito had a pretty long run, you know, like the stuff I got to see on VHS before that of like Tito switching between Valentine and Morocco and Tito. And, you know, like the, everyone had like significant reigns. And so for Ricky's honky, will have a long, the run. longest of them all, you the know, honky meter. they just finally broke it recently, but it's one of those, like they broke it for the sake of breaking it. Like it, yeah. you know, bah. Whatever. Doesn't I used count. to enjoy you telling me about Santino and the honky meter. That's right. Yeah, that was a pretty that funny That sounded one. really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what we're left with is just this. Shattered expectations for a run that was awful and cut off before it could bloom. But that's okay, Ricky and legendary wrestling fans, because the best is yet to come for the dragon. And uh, he will return to uh, New York. But alas, today we mourn what should have been a glorious period. The match, four minutes of fantastic yeah. dragon. And I we wanted- We said that big laugh on, what was the move where he, he, oh. he goes backwards and he's up like DiBiase upside down on his head? Yeah, that's right. Somehow he, he takes a bump and he goes oh, from- Oh, it's the next snap off the top rope. Right. Yeah, Honky takes- got his head over the ropes, actually goes out to the apron so he can drop himself down to the floor to snap Ricky's head right. off. The, and Ricky does this perfect, like, high neck roll, shoulder stand. Right, well, ex- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so basically he's, he is vertical, not horizontal. Yeah, that's right. But he's 180 degrees vertical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that his his neck, as Corey says, one shoulder and his neck are on the mat. Yeah. And his boots and ankles are up where his head and shoulders should be. <laughs> and uh, I did that once at one of my dinner theaters. Oh, where no. Yeah. Well, back in my young spry days, and I was uh, my character was supposed to be poisoned. Okay. So yeah. I did a big flopping flounder, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, Ricky the Dragon, like, I'm dying. And <laughs> I kind of like did a 180 on my head. Didn't hurt myself because I was young and and limber. But we yeah, that was because he holds it so well. Yes. It's just like, and freeze. Yeah, pause. <laughs> and like two seconds later, he starts to tilt and lets the body go. But yeah. it was some pretty good yoga position. <laughs> <laughs> so the end of the match oh. is probably like, was what was so shocking and so disappointing as a kid when I saw it and watching it again. But I'm taking some of the audio. So one of our previous shows, we included a little bit of honky on a shoot interview talking about this title change and sort of being picked to be the guy. And, but in something that was on that interview that it wasn't included in the audio is that like the plan finishes that Ricky, you know, thwarts Jimmy and honky's double team move. And then he goes for this like weird small package, but too close to the ropes and Honky grabs the ropes, reverses the momentum. There's a part, there's a start of a three count that transitions into a different three count. And Honky ends up with this sort of confused win. 
But what Honky said is that like Ricky grabbed him so hard that he almost he almost blew it. Like oh. he basically like he grabs the rope. He's supposed to grab the second rope and switch himself on top, but his hand comes off the second rope. Like he's like, Boink! he misses it. So then you see him. He's being pinned, and then he grabs the bottom rope, and he's just enough able to like he said to pull himself back. So he's on top. He's like Ricky got too excited and he pulled me too hard. Well, up, upon reflection and further inspection, it is perfect execution. It to me looks. Yeah. Now that I looked at it, I'm like, okay, so Ricky's shoulders are not both on the mat yeah. on the count of one. That's right. So now I look back and I'm like, I mean, because like this is revisiting, you know, trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Trigger warning. I hated it at Therapist the time. Therapist on standby. That's right. It was like we were such marks at the time that, uh, and definitely both of us, I, you know, I can, it feels like we did not approve no. of Ricky the Dragon losing no, the honky no, tonk no, like this. No, no, no. Not at all. And now looking back, I had forgotten how awesome Ricky the Dragon looked in this match better than anything, really. I mean, besides uh, WrestleMania 3, but that was a 50. 50 match and Ricky puts on a show here at clinic and uh and it's exciting and it's fast and it has all the spots and all the things that you want and it's all the things we've been dying for from Ricky but he's you know been booked as a punching bag and you know and a a hospital patient you know for like to date so really it's like in one match it's like at last here he is finally in full bloom and then yoink it's all done so with the shock and the horror of him losing the belt, I forgot how good this match is and like how excited the crowd is, how Ricky doesn't lose clean. He does right. not lose clean, yes, thankfully. Right. So I all these years, I was like, and the dummy gets himself pinned one, two, three. I'm like, no, he only gets himself pinned two, three. There is no one. There is no one. Honky's pinned one, two. Yeah. And then Ricky's pinned two, three. And yeah, Honky yeah. gets the belt. That's an outrage. So I, in a way, I feel vindicated. Like at least Ricky didn't go down to a clean pin. Yeah. Like how heartbreaking. Like if th- that would have, there would have been a fucking riot. You yeah. give a clean shake, rattle, roll to our Ricky. Oh. Like, I, you know, I would have stopped watching wrestling, you know, at a protest for a week or two. <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, that would have been too far to yeah. like pin him clean yeah. to Honky's level. Like Andre, sure, pin him clean or, you yeah, know, okay. I mean, we don't still want that. No. But anyway, so uh, really like for what it was, the sneaky, greedy, anti-family move it was, they did it perfectly. Yeah. And Honky, yeah, he adds a... An incredible run. It's def- it defies logic. Well, we love Honky. <laughs> He's pretty funny. Yeah, we, we yeah. mean, like, if you've been listening to the show, then you probably know that we went to see him wrestle, yeah. and I lipped up, and he shut me down. <laughs> Real but quick. It, it was, yeah, I know, but it was all in good fun. Yeah, like exactly. I was, I was yeah. only playing, and I didn't mind, you know, yeah. being laughed at, like sort of thing. Because yeah, like you set it, you set it up, he knocked it down. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I kind of played the fool, you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. a fun way, and I was okay. <laughs> it was all good. Yeah, I, and so he was even funnier because as uh anyway so we love honky but at the time and you can now see how we felt at the time and uh it is nice to go back and see that the ricky look ricky looked great and he didn't lose clean so there's a bit mixed feelings watching this again yeah and 
the thing is, is by the fall of 87, he still seems like he's basically the same character and in the same position. Like, he seems to be positioned very highly going into Survivor Series and all that stuff. So, like, it's not like when I'm watching Survivor Series, I'm like, oh, there's that dead man walking. You know, like, his career's over. It didn't feel like that at all. No, so. that was the, the this mind-blowing combination of all the best matches. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, like Jake, Randy, and Steamboat all on one team. <laughs> and who'd they have? Uh, Beefcake and Duggan. Right. Okay. But that trifecta. Yeah. You know, like it is the best. And the, and the other guys were being pushed so hard that it was just like five, arguably, obviously not number one because there's Hogan, but it almost felt like that was two, three, four, five. <laughs> like Hogan's team didn't have anybody else in the top five other than Hogan. Yeah. So who did, so who did he have? He had Patera. Hogan has Patera, Morocco, Orndorff, and Bam Bam. Right. But none of them are at their. Yeah. Bam Bam's new Orndorff sort of. Had his, yeah, uh, had his, he's, he's on the other side of the peak. <laughs> yeah. Morocco's in Morocco kind of emerging be, face. Yeah, yeah he's uh, a newer face, yeah. And with the new body. That's right, yeah. and uh, Or the complete body. That's right. And, uh, and Duggan's kind of way up, but. No, Duggan's still with the other guys. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's Patera. Right. Sad, but I'm glad we did go back so that I have that uh, minor salve of his performance and the finish was well executed and you know sometimes it's good it's good to go back and, and face the demons that haunted your childhood <laughs> stare them down right. and say i reclaim something <laughs> <laughs> oh dear so that's as far as we're going to get down this road on this show but we're going to keep trucking through the summer the spring and the summer all the way through the summer what are some of the stuff you saw coming up on the horizon, Jeff? Well, there ain't no summer slam yet, but uh, <laughs> it's a slam in summer. I had a quick scan at prime time, which is just such a treasure chest. You know, yeah. I hope things don't don't screw with it. I'm <laughs> 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 sure your fingers crossed. So, boy, there's a lot going on. It looks like Paul Orndorff turns face. I wish yep. that had gone somewhere bigger and better, but uh, right. we have a couple sit-downs, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, and some some physicians, <laughs> so there could be some yucks there. Yeah, We've got uh, a wild six-man tag team that I, I definitely have to watch. I, I think it's Tito, Bruno, and Jake <laughs> versus Jimmy Hart's Broken Bones Club Band. Okay. And uh, so that's, you know, how wild is that, you yeah. know? And uh, what else did I say earlier that, uh, I mean, there's, oh, SD Jones versus Pete Doherty. Yeah, that sounds hilarious. I mean, because what's exciting there is who's going to win, right? Yeah. It's like, we know that there's no belt on the line. That's right. <laughs> you know? Without looking at the results at all, I'll, I'll, I'll guess SD would win that one. But, Me too. You know, yeah. But it's going to be a competitive match. Oh, of course it is, yeah. You know, so I, I'm going to watch that because <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. And like, I just, I have to say, I'm having a good time looking at all these things. And then there's, so I said to Corey today, there's like four categories. Yeah. There's like things that I'm like, oh, this really, we should cover and give it a good look. Then there's like, well, we should just mention this. Yeah. And then there's things like, I'd like to watch this, but we probably won't mention it on the show. Yeah. And then there's things like, nah, I can skip it. <laughs> so like, I guess we got eight episodes of primetime to pick from. And, and there's a smattering of things that yeah. we'll, you know, are, are interesting. And I, I don't, I yeah. think I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff there are things that i don't think we, we will look at like outback jack we probably won't cover his matches yeah, i mean genghis khan makes a uh, killer khan <laughs> he shows up right. <laughs> kills millions of people <laughs> you know <laughs> populates one tenth of the world and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some things we're 
we won't even mention, you know, yeah, KillerCon, yeah. you know, like we might say that he's there, but that's it. Exactly. So there's lots to cover in July and August of 1987 in the WWF before we even dream of getting to episode 12 where... That's right. Yeah, the fall, October 1987, Saturday's main event. It's a pretty pr- pretty great show that you'd already mentioned it once. There's the, the unexpected main event challenge of Sika versus Hulk Hogan. You're sort of like, okay, how did he get a title shot? Like, well, he beat Pete Doherty. How did he get it? I, t- I told you. I told you once. I'll tell you a million times. Ah! Yeah, get through me to get to Hogan. But it's more about the IC title that we've just set up. You know, the, the defense of that is sort of obviously more what that episode's I wanna about. I want to buy myself. We'll, we'll be getting there. I want to buy myself an IC title. Go fund me, everybody. <laughs> I want a belt. So, yeah, tune in for lots more gems that you didn't know existed. And you did know existed, but forgot you watched them. That I didn't know existed. <laughs> Corey didn't know existed so much, maybe. Well, we didn't Sometimes. have prime. We didn't have the show. We didn't have prime time. But they are play, replaying a lot of these matches from Superstars and Challenge and stuff like that. So some of this stuff is popping up on our Saturday morning. But Not that not crazy six-man tag. Not that six-man tag. So come on back, y'all. Okay, so the summer of 87 will continue, and we'll hope you have a good week. Take care. Take care.